we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. This is an Australian podcast. We talk about news and politics, sex and religion, the sorts of things that uh, you're supposed to talk about. Well, you're not supposed to talk about it at a dinner party, but it's the fun stuff to talk about. We look at the issues. We don't just report on them. We try and figure them out, work out what's going on and discuss them around a little table. And we've got an extra person with us. So first of all, I'll introduce... um, uh, Scott the Velvet Glove, welcome aboard again, Scott. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings, Earthlings. And special guest, Archer. Welcome aboard, Archer. Hello, all. So, Archer uh, is a colleague with the Twelfth Man. Indeed. And he has an interesting background, and he's going to give his input on different things that happen in the podcast and our topics. We're going to talk about Uluru to start with, but then we're going to. You know, regular listeners will probably remember Venezuela, our Venezuela discussions. And, um, and Archer has lived in Venezuela and knows a lot about it. So we'll be talking about Venezuela and he's also an ex-Marine. So we'll be talking about US intervention in, in the world and we'll be talking about all sorts of stuff. So Archer, well, just a little bit about you, just a, a sort of elevated pitch of who you are. And so people get a feel for when you're talking about things, what your experiences are. Uh. In a nutshell, I'd say I'm a mud of the world, son to an American father and son to a Spanish mother. I have four passports. I speak two languages fluently, and I've been studying Korean for the last year. Wow. There you go. So an interesting mix. Mm. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, uh, what I, well, before we even start on the new topics, I'm just going to say last week we spoke about... Uh, how much the 1% owned in Australia. And I just want to clarify a few things because I, at the very beginning, got it all correct when I said line up the bottom 70% and the wealth that they own is equal to the top 1%. But at different times I said in the podcast that the top 1% owns 70% and that's not the case. So they own the equivalent of the bottom 70%, which is about 22% of Australia's wealth. So bear that in mind when you're talking about wealth inequality in Australia. Yeah. Right. Um, a little ethical consistency test for you, dear listener. So, as you would know, in this podcast, we talk about religion a lot, spirituality, rationalism. Um, does religious nonsense annoy you? Are you sick of undeserved respect demanded by religious leaders for their superstitious beliefs? Should religious leaders be able to tell the rest of us how to behave and what to do? Should we change our conduct in order to offend in order to avoid offending an archbishop, for example. Many of you would probably be of the same mind and going, well, of course we shouldn't be pandering to religious sensibilities of those damn Christians who are trying to take over the country. Some of you may not, but that's probably, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably, you're, <laughs> you're probably, probably the are. type where you're... you're kind of, <laughs> yeah. My next question is, um, do you think that as a mark of respect to Indigenous spiritual sensibilities, climbing Uluru should be banned? And do you see any conflict in your answers? So I think, 12th Man, we might have a lot of people who initially would not pander to Christian sensibilities, Mm. but perhaps are willing to pander to what we would call 
indigenous spiritual sensibility. And um, so we can say to those people, do you see a conflict there? Because the reason this comes up is Uluru. And the recent, um, it's come into effect that uh, it's no longer possible to climb Uluru. The climbing's been banned. And a number of reasons have been given as to why climbing Uluru has been banned. But it seems that the first card that's played, the number one one, is that um, climbing Uluru is disrespectful to the spiritual beliefs of the local Indigenous people. Mm. So, any thoughts, Talkman? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Lots of thoughts on that one. Um, it's To me, it's a case, to put it very bluntly, it's a case of the bigotry of low expectations where, you know, if we're, we're talking to other urbane, you know, urban people, um, we generally assume, I mean, particularly in the circles we, we, we mix in, we generally assume that people don't put a, a lot of importance on so-called spirituality or religious beliefs. Some of us may or may not be, you know, practising religious believers, but it, it doesn't... It, it doesn't have much of a presence in our in our uh, interactions or in our consciousness, as far as I'm concerned. But um, when it comes to our indigenous brothers and sisters, you know, suddenly we have to bend over and say, "Oh, but it's their spirituality, so we should respect it." You know. Whereas my approach would be to say, "Look, you know, uh, don't want to be rude to anyone, but why don't we tell them about?" reality you know why don't we help them educate the kids so that they grow up knowing what the universe is really made of and knowing that you know spirituality is just an idea and it's uh, it only exists in the minds of those people who who think it's a real thing you well know? perhaps if we're very dismissive of christian archbishops or whatever then why aren't we as dismissive of Indigenous spirituality. Ah, because it's very, very uh, uncool to be yeah. uh, rude to Indigenous people mm. in, in any way, shape or form, isn't it? Mm. So people are very, very wary mm. of being seen to be racist and, you know, showing disrespect to their spirituality, unlike showing disrespect to the local, you know, Catholic or Anglican archbishop, mm. showing disrespect to our Indigenous brothers and sisters is seen as beyond the pale, mm. isn't it? Yeah, so interesting, some um, information has come out about, uh, well, is it really an Indigenous spiritual idea not to yes, climb? it's been contested, hasn't it? Because mm. somebody uh, pr recently produced an article from, I, I don't recall how many years ago it was. D did, you, did you see the article? There was this? two articles I read. One was by a guy called Mark Hendricks writing in Quadrant. A yeah. conservative magazine. It is a conservative magazine, yeah. but that's not to say that stuff they print isn't necessarily true. Correct. And there was another one, a guy, Erwin Chandler, writing in Alice Springs yeah. News. Yeah, somebody reported that the father of one of the current um, so-called custodians mm. uh, himself used to climb the rock with uh, visiting, you know, non-Indigenous people and didn't seem to have a problem with it whatsoever. Well, in 1973, as part of land rights discussions, the federal government recognised Paddy Uluru mm. as the legitimate principal owner of Uluru. Yeah. And he's quoted as saying, if tourists are stupid enough to climb the rock, they're welcome to it. Mm. And the physical act of climbing was of no cultural interest. Yes, of so no consequence. Two different sources. There's links in the show notes. So 
It's contentious as it's to w- very contentious, as to whether this is just a new development. Yeah, yeah. And my feeling is that it's it's an idea mm. that's been uh, cultivated mm. among the local indigenous people. But you know, cultures and religions change. They do. So it, if it's a newly developed cult, you know, religious doctrine. Yeah. That's probably okay, isn't and, it? And, of course, it's probably a, a sort of a logical extent, extension mm. of a lot of their traditional beliefs anyway, isn't it? Mm. So I, um, on the Facebook page, um, I, I, I put it out there to say these are the reasons that I see given. The first was that it's disrespectful, disrespectful to spiritual beliefs. The second was, and so we've answered that by saying, well, maybe it wasn't. If it is now, maybe that's a new development. Second reason given is that the local Indigenous people are owners or custodians of Uluru and as owners they can decide if people can climb it. So don't want to go into all of the ins and outs of, of, of that except to say check out our earlier episode on Indigenous matters and mm. I think we dealt with ownership there without yeah. going back to it. I have to say I have a bit of a problem with anybody mm. owning... A spectacular, mm. you know, remarkable natural wonder anyway. Mm. You have to excuse my ignorance as the American. Is Uluru privately owned? No. Uh, it's, 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 it's owned by the indigenous the... tribe. Yeah. So it's, it's in a caretaker estate. And it's been leased back to a kind of um, national park, national park yeah. for so 99 years. So if it's a national park area. Yeah, with a management committee made up of indigenous and national But it is park. an Australian national park. Yes, 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 yeah. But it's, that's the least of the National Park, yeah. And as part of the agreement, um, they said if uh, climbing of the rock decreases to below 20%, where if the uh, 20% or less of visitors to the area decide not to climb the rock, then that was going to be one of the preconditions. Decide for, to climb the rock, you mean, if tw- less than 20%? Well, if 20% don't climb the rock... Only twenty no. percent don't climb. Yeah, if so eighty percent so currently climb, climbing. Uh, uh, no, sorry. If if less than twenty percent of visitors choose to climb oh, the rock, okay. then gotcha. that would be a sign that we're ready to close the rock off, right? So <laughs> apparently that's what it has been in recent times. But um, there's a sort of a trick to that because they close it because of high winds. Yeah. Uh, a very rare rain event in Alice Springs. <laughs> they wouldn't be too often. Yeah. But basically, the climb was closed for 229 days of the 273 days between January and yeah. September. So that's 84% it's of the days it was way closed. To bring down the yeah. numbers. So it's, it's not a true reflection of, mm. of desire to climb exactly. by visitors. Yeah. So if you see people saying, well, most people decided not to climb. Yeah. The answer is they actually weren't able to. Yeah. Is, is there so, a fee to climb? Mm, Once you arrive at the rock, is there a fee you must pay to climb? I don't, I don't, don't think know. so. I don't think so, no. I mean, I climbed it, but that was uh, several decades ago and there was, there was basically n- not, not even a fence or a gate and or anything. Do you have to pay to enter the national park? No. No. Okay. You didn't then. Like I went so my question gee, would about be, 40 years ago. I would imagine there's some sort of fee to, yes. to climb it now. Because in the US there's lots of fees when yeah. you enter a national park, in, but yeah. those fees go back into managing the sure. park and preservation. Yeah. Yeah. And so my, my question would be that where, if there is a fee, where mm. is this money being spent and is it being spent by the 
the management that you're talking about. Yeah. 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 I don't personally have a problem with charging nominal fees all. to mm. enter national parks. And in fact, if you enter Fraser Island National Park, I forget the techni- the proper name for it, but if you go to Fraser Island, you're required to pay a fee to enter the national park. So it does exist in some. Mm. So, um, so that's the second reason. Um, uh, th- well, the third reason was that it's too dangerous. So we've got to stop people climbing because it's too dangerous. Which is horseshit, frankly. Well, <laughs> I, I think there's something to that. Oh, come on. No, seriously. Did you, did you feel in peril when you climbed it? Not, decades ago? not in the least. It's, it's just a, a sloping, smooth rock. You know, I mean, it undulates a bit. But you just walk up and you hold the chain just to steady yourself as you, as you walk up the side of this. You know, this, it's I, fairly I, steep, but it's, it's a not gradual difficult. climb. Yeah, it's no, not, no, not I, a difficult. Climb. I'd have to disagree. I climbed it when I was nineteen, and yeah. I thought at the time, when when you're nineteen and you're bulletproof, I thought this is actually quite dangerous. Really? I can't, yeah, I was like, if it was really powdery, and um, I thought it would be easy for somebody to really hurt themselves here. I, so I was surprised as a 19-year-old <laughs> that they were allowing people to do it. I was in my early 20s when yeah. I climbed, yeah. which is not too different to yeah. the age you were. Yeah. Can I tell you when I was there, I was there at the actual handover ceremony. Really? Hmm. So I actually looked through some of the photographs of it thinking I might be in the background there somewhere because there wasn't that many people there. It was only a few hundred. Yeah. Uh, the numbers have steadily grown yeah. in the last... I don't know how many years, but when I was there, mm. there was virtually there was hardly anybody. Yeah. Seriously, hardly anybody. Yeah. Well, I, I reckon th- I reckon the danger aspect is has got some legitimacy to it. Mm. I personally do. So after um, face, so I said in Facebook, you know, leave some comments. As have mm. I got them all? And here's the other sort of reason that came out was sort of environmental reasons, which include a damage to the rock, mm. b. The rubbish and human waste. So apparently a lot of people are just defecating. And off the side peeing, of the rock. Well, either on top of the, the rock. Side. They, would, just, they would have to climb to the top. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of a, you know, and it's not flat on top. Yeah. It's kind of it's got dips and gullies little rock, and things. rock pools, yeah. just, just stagnant water. And I can imagine uneven. some people might be crass enough to do that. Yes. But what about this? What about at the base you issue people with a, you know, a conveniently designed plastic bag you know like a vomit a portable bag. portable john yeah like you get a vomit bag on an airplane and you say carry this with you if you don't use it give it back to us when you come back down it's light enough to just slip in your hey. pocket if you need to do a poo or a wee and it, you know that, it could contain some of that work. moisture absorbent oh, that, gel that's it not would work, work. People, some, some people not? have yeah. to carry colostomy bags on the side yeah. of them as daily practice why not yeah but you uh, not? you get trained and practiced at that but you're your, your, your average Joe who's just hiked up Uluru and has gone, oh, jeez, I need to go to the toilet, and you're going to expect them to use it. Yes. Did you in the military have to, did you have to use a, some sort of bag if, when you're if off? If we were lucky enough. Right. <laughs> so, but sometimes, like, I heard... You'd be surprised at I the thought, many uses you have in a helmet. I, oh. <laughs> I thought in special forces to sort of... Um, so that they would not reveal that they'd been there, that they would collect their feces. Special Forces yes. is a completely different cut right. of pie. Okay. So when the Marines are there, everyone You can knows. tell when yeah, a but... group of Marines have been there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. Yeah. Just be careful. Put that helmet back on. <laughs> Yuck. Well, I reckon, to me... and What I, percentage I, I, do you think of people who climb? What can, percentage? Can I, can I tell you this? Here's an anecdote that yeah. might bring some light onto this. My okay. daughter works 
for a major clothing retailer, Zara. Right? That's Ooh, the, fast fashion. Okay. So that's a, a, a very big chain. Mm-hmm. During busy times, it is not uncommon for women in the change rooms to do either a one or a number two no. in the corner of the change room. No. Really? I don't believe it. No, that is dead set true. So that's in the Queen Street Mall Seriously? where there are toilets everywhere oh, and, and it is not uncommon. They'll go, oh, somebody's done one again in the change rooms Seriously? and they have to lock it. So, oh. so when you think, you know, would people do it on air? How often? How often? No, yeah. often enough yeah, I mean, is there a position? Unusual. Is there a position to clean out that? So it's... It's, it's a real problem. Like, this is something during busy times, I don't know, once a fortnight or something. Like, often enough, like, you, you wouldn't think once a year. But you know, it, those people, those are people are the people who do it because they think they, you know, they get funny. a kick out Yeah, of it. they're getting it. It's the same kind of guy who shits on the front door of someone. No, no, That's right. No, these are busy times when people have had to stand in line to get into the change rooms and they've got half a dozen items and they're in a hurry and they just go, I just... I'll just do no, it here. No, I, I, don't, I don't buy that because if they're either. in a busy line, the next person to come in that change room right after that person, he's going to go in there and be like, oh, that was there when I walked in. So, so what, are you mm. saying they're doing it? Uh, they are shitting in the, in the change rooms? Yes. I, I just, I can't fathom it. I'm not saying that it's never happened, but I can't, I can't fathom it being a regular occurrence no. like that. Maybe they're Marines and they just didn't have the helmet. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Normal uh, people don't do that you, sort you, of stuff. But I'm telling you, that's a regular occurrence. When you say regular, you said about once a fortnight. These are jerks who yes. just go in and they do it just because they want to you know, be deliberately... Shits and giggles. Yeah, that's uh, what in, it's In about. the most civilised situation like that, if people are prepared to do that, then I would imagine when you get a big crowd of people up at Uluru, there'd be all sorts of people <laughs> pissing how many, everywhere. How many hours does it take to walk up to the top of Uluru? It's about an hour to get mm. to the top. Right. So it's two hours up and down, yeah. and then how long do you would most people stay? How long did you guys stay up at oh, the top? half an hour, maybe. Yeah, half an yeah. hour or something like half that. Half an hour. So you're talking two and a half hours. If you can't hold it for yeah. two and a half hours... That's a fair point. Yeah, then you've got a problem. You yeah. shouldn't be climbing the rock. But, but yeah. you don't think that the great unwashed masses would be getting up there and doing it on a regular basis? Yeah, but how many people, how many of the great unwashed masses can afford to fly out there? Look, look the they other can p- afford to buy a clothing at Zara. <laughs> <laughs> can I make another point? Yeah. It's, it's not a... The top of the rock doesn't have a lot of... You know, really hiding places. There are no trees or anything up there. No. And with the number of people climbing it these days, you'd be doing it in front of other people. And most mm. people w- won't. going to stop that. that. Stop yeah. someone they see yeah. dropping. Well, I think the evidence is that it is causing damage to the rock pools oh. and the flora and yeah. fauna at the base of the rock because it's washing down during the well, rainstorm. I can't so imagine. I think there's evidence of that. Yeah. It's not really. Contentious. I can't see that that is an insoluble problem. In the 21st well, century, we can come but, up with but, a solution well, to that. I don't think the solution is put a port on top of a of a No, not a port I think my idea was better. Little, mm. little just, you know, bags that they can carry back they, down. They Most have, decent they people have that product use. already for sale at festivals like Woodford. Of they course. call them bio bags. Yeah, yeah. of yeah. course. Okay, well, that's it's another... Not insoluble. To me, that's probably one of the strongest reasons is that... They're just making a mess up there, and there's just too many people now. And when you and I went, nobody was really doing it, but no. um, given the number of people, I think that's a good reason myself. Anyway. I'm um, really surprised that that would be a major problem. Mm. Me too. I, I was shocked to hear that. 
it's a barren rock. Like whatever happens up there washes down. Like I there understand. is no yeah. soil to absorb it. Or, I know that, yeah. So. But to think that someone paid that much money went out there, got this huge lesson about it's a sacred rock, climbs it, and then says, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom, just better go up here in front of these other tourists with me. Yeah. Have you ever worked in retail? Have you ever seen what people will do? <laughs> like, people will do... The most terrible things. It's, it's like funny. I entered the show thinking I'd be the pessimist, and right. I am <laughs> glad to be proven wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but can we talk about the safety concern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just to add on to what 12th Man said, it's the 21st century. If there's just a, a chain link fence going up there, you don't think we could reinforce the pathway to prevent erosion and make it safer? To remove that is an issue of it's, concern. It's not a fence. It's just a chain, like a like literally a chain, a chain with a single pole going with, through. Yeah. yeah. Poles. yeah. So, so I mean, what? Just put up another one so that it's on both sides. You just doubled the safety. Uh, that's true. But now you're getting into this, the sixth and final reason, which was aesthetics. So, I was reading an article by John Perkins, president of the Secular Party, and he was. Um, waxing on about different things, mm. and he was proposing a chairlift at one end and saying, well, it's in an area where people don't take photographs and that. Well, and we I was to keep the disabled in mind. And, and well, I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, what a blight that would be. Yeah, on the, I like, agree. Clearly out of the question, yeah. a chairlift. If so, people are not fit, they shouldn't be climbing. So there, so there are aesthetic considerations. Like you would say, we don't want a rusty old chairlift on the side of Uluru no because way. that's just going to look ugly. Well, yeah. mm. somewhere between a chairlift and a chain link sort of rope mm. is something also that's aesthetically getting ugly somewhere as well. I mean, it doesn't have to go as far as a chairlift to be ugly. So at what point do you are you defacing what's, you know, beautiful by whacking something ugly on it, mm. I think? I propose that we wait until we've developed that Star Trek technology where you just beam people up and down and <laughs> wrong. That'll be the, the, the best solution. Then we can mm. just beam people up, you know, and wheelchair and all, whatever. That also removes your faeces problem. Yeah, beam back down the faeces and everything that went with them. Mm. Just on the death thing. Um, so the death rate on Uluru since 2000, uh, there's been approximately five and a half million visitors and... Two deaths is uh, 0.36 deaths per million. In contrast, there are about 12 deaths per annum at the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Mm. And they get about 4.5 million people visit the Grand Canyon. Close the Grand Canyon. So 2.6 deaths per million. So it's basically the Grand Canyon has a rate seven times higher than Uluru. And nobody is proposing to ban... uh, Climbing down the canyon. Yeah, they go Gee, down in, on fact, the in fact, yeah, we give donkeys and the feces just rolls right and down. And there are helicopter over. rides. Talk about aesthetics. Yeah, there's whitewater know. rafting. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you been down to, have you hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon? I've not hiked to the bottom. I've right. been to the Grand Canyon in the petrified forest. Yes, right. Sam. I, I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And it was full of Australians. <laughs> <laughs> Did you panic? And this was in 1983 again on that trip I was telling you oh, really? about. Yeah, uh, and got down the bottom and all I could hear was these bloody Australian accents and a, echoing. And a girl who was doing communications at QUT. And yeah. I thought, oh, I've come all the way to the bottom of the Grand Canyon just yeah. to be surrounded by Australians. Yeah. So um, there we go. But yeah. The LSD dose was too high. <laughs> so, uh, so that's, uh, that's sort of most of the issues to do with Uluru, Uluru except... There's now a bit of a call for 
In Queensland, dear listener, uh, we have in southeast Queensland the Glasshouse Mountains. We do. And a uh, famous one of those being Mount Timbergargan. And uh, there's calls there by the local Indigenous population to say that uh, they've been calling for banning um, the climbing of, mm. of the Glasshouse Mountains. Is this problems. a new claim or is this something that's been no. long-standing like Uluru? Long-standing, Okay, yeah. so, so this isn't um, something that sprung out of a president being set by Uluru? Well, it's sort of uh, news of it has been revived because they're saying, well, we're inspired by our Indigenous brothers in at Uluru who have managed to get the law passed there. Mm. We want to get the same law passed here mm. on Mount Timbergargan. So... Um, and also Mount Coulomb. So, um, so here's the thing, dear listener. If you if you're in favour of of banning climbing for purely indigenous spiritual sensibilities, mm. then any number of places can come up for grabs. When and does, yeah, when does Sydney Harbour come up for grabs? Well, uh, there are beaches in yeah. Northern Territory and and, yeah. and uh, the northern parts of Western Australia where they're saying. People aren't allowed. So There's talk around that beach in Broome, isn't there? That very famous beach. Yes, yeah, somewhere around. Um, Is it where the camels it are? I yeah. don't know. What's it called? I don't um, think. I think the indigenous people around Broome right. have have made some some sounds as well. But I mm. I could be wrong. But yeah, I mean, what's the limit? You know, mm. where else? Anyway, I'd be happy to see climbing a I, look, you know, garden. I have a really strong feeling that but, nobody should own the natural landscape beyond a reasonable little plot of ground, you know, for each owner. And I, I want to make highlight of the two major assets or facets that you pointed out as being a detriment to climbing Uluru were non-spiritual based. Uh, well, the ones that, the arguments I find the most compelling are yeah, not spiritual. Are non-spiritual based. Yeah, so. so if we're keeping it strictly within the confines of spiritual based, I, I can't find a single argument to ban it. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, so there we go. When it comes to the reasons, I think personally, the one about just the people shitting and pissing everywhere, oh, that's and yeah, but the, maybe the danger with people falling off, and that's about it. But that, that, you, that as you pointed out, that was a really, really low percentage of people mm. who, and they're usually people who are perhaps shouldn't be climbing but, anyway. But, you know, they but, have heart attacks. Yeah, but well, none well, of those reasons were the reasons why they banned it, right? They no. banned it strictly based on the spiritual grounds? Is that what's been... Well, they're, it's they're a combination. Up these, no, they, they, they've they, thrown up the other things as, a, as an excuse. Yeah. As, a well, sub, as a sub-appendix. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, but a, the main argument is based strictly on spiritual yeah. base. Yeah. Well, then how come Cardinal Pell couldn't stay abroad? Why did we bring him back from the Vatican? Because he's a child molester and we had to put him in prison. Yeah, but can't he <laughs> claim the same thing? Uh, I don't think he it was claiming... Well, he was claiming he didn't do it. He wasn't claiming it was spiritually... Okay, yeah. so different, uh, different thing. So. Um, can we just go mm. back? You said mm. the danger thing. You said mm. it was quite soft to the surface of it. No, no, slippery. It was powdery. It was right. like a fine powder on a hard rock that, that I felt was quite slippery. Okay. Mm. I didn't get so that impression did that, at um, Because there was also one of the things that was brought up on Facebook last night I was reading, they said that... Um, that the number of people going up and down the have led to the, led to the erosion of the rock. Is that because yeah, yeah, yeah. the rock is being eroded, or I think it's just left a, a discoloration yeah. on the rock. I don't think it's actually carved a groove no, in it as such. It's not. Um, it's not that serious. Yeah. But you will notice foot. You know, if if enough feet 
walk along a, a, a rock surface, it will eventually leave uh, a, a mark. Groove, you yeah. know, yeah. not a groove. It's not a groove. It's just the scuff marks of people's shoes. That's mm. all it is. In the chat room, they're saying that there is a fee to enter the park, but no extra to climb. Okay. So that's from Adam. And Andrew says there are calls to stop climbing on many parts of the Grampians range in Victoria. Mm, that's but true. Bronwyn says the argument in favour of limiting that is to protect sites of great cultural significance, particularly rock art sites. Mm. Makes sense. Sure you know, does make sense. Rock art should be protected, mm. absolutely. And there have been cases of it being vandalised in different parts of Australia. Oh, mm. very common out in Moab in Utah for people is to it? come and knock over the rocks that have been standing it's, upright like that for thousands of years. It's, and it's moronic, tragic, isn't it? It goes yeah. back to the people shitting in the changing rooms. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Same mentality, isn't it? Yeah. There we go. No respect for anything, let alone, you know, sacred sites. Mm. Mm. So anyway, I mean, you know, if I go into a cathedral, I treat it with absolute respect just because I like great architecture and craftsmanship and just the fact that a lot of people put a lot of energy and 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 themselves into building those buildings, mm. you know. Mm. I wouldn't go in and, you know, shit yeah. in the corner of a church. Yeah. Even if I didn't like, you know, the, mm. the purpose of it being built. The entrance fee is of particular interest to me because if the money generated from that is going in to offset the damages that are being done or to rehabilitate the indigenous owners and whatever asset that they choose to use that money for, mm. then it should be seen as a benefit. Mm. Um, and removing that, shutting it down, they must not... Uh, well, they, they think they're going to get the same sort of money from people just viewing it and... Yeah. Donating. And, yeah. yeah, and donating to stand at the best sunset spot and to, mm. and to be taken on a tour of so, by an Aboriginal elder and given, you know, instruction yeah. and all that. They, they think they'll <laughs> get the same sort of patronage. Have you climbed the rock? No, no, I've never been out there. So my question is directed at you two. When you guys got out there after making this arduous journey to the centre of Australia, more or less, Mm -hmm. and seeing this giant rock with all this history in it, would you have been content to just sit at the bottom and see the sunset? No, I wouldn't have. I I definitely wanted to climb it, and I would want to climb it. That's how I feel looking at Mount Rainier and Mount Washington, but um, I didn't. Those don't have the spiritual context, I'd say, with the. Uluru, maybe. It may well have, if you, if you oh, dig deep enough. Yes, you know, In the indigenous yeah. people of the area. We were, sp- we were speaking of the Dakotas and, the, um, and Mount Washington, or not Mount Washington, Mount Rushmore yeah. earlier. Mm. I think it's just human nature that if you see a large climbable you want to climb it. <laughs> and you've got time you want to and you think it. there's going to be a nice view. Yeah. yeah. I you mean, when you go it. camping yeah, somewhere, there'll invariably be a trail that leads to a lookout. Exactly. Yes, yeah, exactly. Sort. And so, there's no higher area... What, for, for miles, I would assume, or for kilometres, excuse me. No, it's pretty flat <laughs> out there. Yeah, so it just humanated to want to climb it. My old yeah. man said the place, he said there's a whole lot of nothing out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. but that's a perspective, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it's a beautiful area. I love central Australia. I think the colour is amazing, you know, this red earth and blue sky and little bits of pieces of green all over. The, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Mm. Right. Okay, we're going to move on to Venezuela, but... Uh, and I'm I'm worried because Archie, when we spoke about Venezuela last time, it really mm. it went off the rails. So, <laughs> so and, and I got I got a feeling it might as well. But before we do, we've had we had I'm going to get our patron messages and other stuff like that in now. So uh, so let me just um, jump ahead to that. Um, we've got some new patrons. Yeah. Uh, new patron Kim, who said. Uh, 
Do you want to, have you got that in front of you, Scott? I do. Do you want to read New that? patron, Kim. Hi, Jen. So I was introduced to the podcast via a drinking game that involved listening to back episodes of your podcast and sculling every time the Velvet Glove stated that ScoMo would lose the election. Yeah, thanks very much, Kim. <laughs> um, needless to say, it's taken me weeks to recover and I'm finally sober enough to subscribe to your podcast. But on the serious note, congratulations on presenting great content every week. Certainly worth paying for and I'll be doing my best to spread the word. Cheers, Kim. Mm. Thank you very much, Kim. And uh, even though you had a backhanded insult there against me, which is fine, and I would also just like to defend myself too in saying that I was not the only person that was predicting ScoMo would lose that election. That's right. No, <laughs> virtually yes. all of us were. I know that. Indeed, indeed. But you're not uh, you're not in the clear just yet, uh, Scott. I've oh. got uh, we've had a message. Um, I'll just play uh, a voicemail message that we received. Okay. Fist. Glow, 12th man, hard bottom here. It's been brought to my attention that I need to set the record straight about two claims that have been made on that podcast of yours. The first is this one. Don't be nice. Yeah. You could just start my, my brother Landon Hardbottom. He started. I reject categorically that I am in any way related to that glove. <laughs> we have absolutely nothing in common. And I honestly believe that that sort of stuff gives your listeners the irrits as much as it gives me the irrits. The second is this. From, from Landon's point of view, I'm sure this child is just another tax deduction. <laughs> I find that deeply offensive. The mere suggestion that I would ever pay taxes is <laughs> unimaginable. Retribution? Put your brother vengeance down. I don't care if you are preparing to subdue the masses. Besides, I've told you we're going to use religion and reality TV to achieve that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Landon Hardbottom. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a little while, yes. Mm. Yes, uh, on the on our website, there's a link. Uh, you can leave a voicemail message. Anybody can. Uh, that would be nice to get some messages. We also got a message from new patron Donnie, who said, "G'day, gents. Normally, I listen to the podcast when walking the dog, and I stumbled across yours one morning. Since then, I've been hooked, and the dog is getting plenty of walks to allow me more <laughs> podcast time. I've signed up as a patron. Keep up the good work. So, uh, so Donnie Darko's dog is getting plenty of exercise. Absolutely. Podcast. Yeah. Thank you. It's good to know. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, patrons, for that. And thank you to Tero for upgrading as well. So, right. Venezuela. Let me tell you, Archer, all about Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my thesis, right, which is, okay, the Venezuelan government has been corrupt and incompetent, but... The massive oil reserves are such that um, if Venezuela had been allowed to fully participate in the world economy and had not been under a financial siege that was orchestrated by the United States and if it hadn't had its uh, foreign reserves in America confiscated, it could have traded out of its difficulties and that, that basically... America accentuated and and continued a problem that a small rich country could have got out of, but due to that financial siege and the theft of their assets, they weren't able to. So yes, um, uh, incompetent government mistakes, but 
lucky enough to have so much oil that it should have been able to get out of trouble but was never allowed to. So what do you think of that theory? Hmm. It's, it's on the mark, more or less. But I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think you're going deep enough. You have to remember Venezuela was one of the few countries recognized, what is it, by, um, it was recognized by the World Bank as an upper middle income economic economy within the 70s and early 80s. And then it was the only Latin American country to suffer two lost decades of political instability and economic recession. Yeah, and those both precipitate the actions that you're talking about taken by the United States. Venezuela's problems are far more deep-rooted than merely the last two or even three decades that it's experienced. So, so when you talked about two major... What, what, what did you say? Two, two lost decades, the right. 80s and the 1990s. Right. And it was really never able to recover from the currency and debt crisis of the 80s. Right. Yeah, which plunged it further into the economic chaos in the 1990s. Inflation became just uncontrollable from that stage. And yes, you're right. Venezuela is, for the listeners who don't know, Venezuela is the largest oil producer in the world. It has more oil reserves than Saudi Arabia. Yeah, mm. and it also has more murders a day than Syria. Yeah. And it's not currently at war with any other nation, mm. sovereign state. Mm. More murders than Syria and more oil reserves than Saudi Arabia. I agree. It's in a mess. It's the question is how did it get there? And Got and there. was another path possible is is the question. I, so so <laughs> just just briefly, like Chavez actually repaid the IMF. Like he he paid off the money that was owed. So um, but you know, Ch- he did that with money that was generated from an oil boom in the late 90s, in the early 2000s, while at the same time not generating taxes or a tax-deductible economy that would keep pace with that. As soon as the oil boom dis- dissipated, the, the gap was too large, and that's where you got your hyperinflation. So, so at one point he's accused of being a massive socialist and, and taxing too much, but then he's not taxing enough? There's a low no, tax not, environment? No, he's not generating the environment to build those taxes. He's invested all his eggs in one basket, in my opinion. So that's the classic banana republic, Correct. is one that is uh, you know, relying on, a, a, on one sole yeah. uh, Social, income. So, socialism was yeah, the, the new religion for the poor masses, if right. you would. So, yeah, but was he a socialist? But he didn't tax enough. I, Which one was it? it both. Both. Why can't? Why are they mutually exclusive? Because normally socialists tax too much. Like so. That's that's. Can I? Yes, yes. Go ahead, Scott. I don't think. I think. I think Archer's right here. You haven't got a broad enough based economy. You've got an economy that's based purely on oil. Oil exports. Oil exports, and that's it. Not refinery. Not no. So you've got crude oil that they export and that's it. They don't even refine it there. And on that note, the U.S. is the largest oil trading partner with Venezuela. Yes. So when the U.S. stops buying... Which is the U.S.'s right, depending upon its foreign diplomacy at the time. True, but it's not its right to say it's all your fault when, in fact, they just stop buying and stop everyone else from buying. So... But shouldn't so, the government of Venezuela have the foresight to diversify? Ab- absolutely. And that comes down to incompetence. But my argument was I'm also blaming America for the problem. And I'm saying they didn't have to stop buying. It's just that mm. they've got this socialist so, 
um, if you're anti-socialist you know agenda that they hated the government so they were basically willing to damage the country precipitated okay. yeah. no no yeah. argument there if yeah. you're asking if america exacerbated a problem yeah. a yeah. deep rooted seated problem that yeah. was strictly a venezuelan problem absolutely absolutely yeah. but is that problem planted by the united states no absolutely not and we've touched on a little bit of it like you said the banana republic the tumorless 70s and 80s yeah. in venezuela and, and you know the oil price goes up and down but generally speaking venezuela's gdp was never too bad like in, in compared to you know most countries when they have a hyperinflation it's because they've they've printed lots of money or and chopped off a couple of zeros at the end of it and they've borrowed lots but Venezuela never did that. It actually repaid the money it owed the IMF. And its GDP was a reasonable growth rate. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, through 1980 through to 2015. So, it was a reasonable rate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it right there. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. an upward I, graph. We so were speaking it, about the inflation yeah. rates earlier yeah. before they hit 100% in 95. So part of, part of the mythology of Venezuela is that... Uh, people would think they printed money and overspent and, and things like that. But part of the mythology of well, Venezuela's problem is currency. And, and devaluation of currency, it's all about trust and faith and um, credibility. Mm. And if the US and others gang up and say, this currency is shit and you're not allowed to deal with them anymore and it's worthless, and you've got a powerful sort of financial siege... Your currency plummets even if you've been doing the right thing or you've been going not too bad. So if, you know, when you look at the sort of trading deficit of, of the US, it's abysmal. Like, it should be the banana republic, but it's lucky because its US dollar is the world's reserve currency. So there's okay. a lot of sort of faith involved in currency and, and it's open to manipulation of that faith and that's what... The other part is what the world sort of power brokers did to Venezuela. Nobody wants to disagree? No, I would. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but I think that Archer's right where he said that the whole thing predates the US sanctions. Mm. The government ineptitude and incompetence in the way, because I understand that they uh, manage the oil reserves themselves. They're not privately owned is that right that's correct yeah now i also understand that there was a report at the time that they'd gone through and sacked all their middle management correct yeah so they'd left <laughs> but, but, but do you know why they yeah, sacked the why? middle management thank you yes why yeah i don't know what well, it was oh, because they, revolt, because they more or less re revolted against, they disobeyed the government's orders. They went on strike or something. They they actually, they the, management, the management went on strike, not the workers. A, a slight, yeah, yeah, management and workers both went on strike, but basically those who didn't follow the government's ebb, as you said, mm. right, revolted against mm. it, and instead they sacked it. And this went back to what you and me were mm. speaking about earlier. The problem with Chavismo or Chavista socialism is that it basically installs cadres or these Chavista groups mm. in these powerful positions. So those who don't toe the government line are soon replaced. And this is endemic within GM Venezuelana. GM was a General Motors in Venezuela, did very, very well. And 
and they were one of the last companies to pull out of Venezuela, and that was because Venezuela largely respected the GM's autonomy within the management. When they pulled the plug, it was because they no longer decided to keep quiet on what was happening with the health issues, the sanctions going on, the falling apart infrastructure, and then it, it, Maduro decided to replace these managers with basically chavistas who would toe the party line. Mm. And these people lack the qualifications and it's called an education drain. And these people who come into positions of management for the wrong reasons, not because they're particularly good management or they know, understand the system that they've been placed into, but simply because they're yes men, they're government mm. cadres. And when you do that, it's endemic of a, a corrupt system. These people are going to vote for the Chavistas in the elections. They're going to install people below them who are not are qualified, but because they will toe the party line. And then you have a company that's now producing an inferior product, can no longer operate at a profit. And again, it's towing the party line. So as far as Maduro is concerned and Chavez is concerned, everything's fine. But the products have become inferior. GM no longer wants to put their product in there. Mm. And I mean, that is systemic mm -hmm. across society, across mm -hmm. society. I, I read that also in uh, small, well, small to medium pri privately owned businesses. Or national. They, they, they were not allowed to trade in, in, a, in a normal capitalistic manner. And that they, they no, were just going No, it was a semi-controlled market, yeah, correct. they were just yeah. going broke. And so they were sort of like... But not only that, those who refused to play by the ball were nationalized. Mm. My grandfather owned a farm right outside Maricaibo, and three of his neighbors were nationalized when they refused to sell the beef at, at, priced, at government-regulated prices mm. to, so that everyone would remain competitive by the government standards. The farmers were losing out, and when they refused and were selling on the black market... Instantly nationalized. So the government mm -hmm. just took their land. The government took their land and subsidized it in, or subdivided it into smaller farms mm -hmm. and redistributed it to poor people yeah. and called it a land reform. Sure. And the land people, the people who came and settled on the land, obviously were pro-government for mm -hmm. the next election. Mm -hmm. They were just given a small farm. Yeah. Whether or not they could do Whether they could farm it or not. It. And yeah. now Venezuela has to import all of its food and mm -hmm. people are literally killing zoo animals yeah. to feed themselves. Yeah. I didn't mention it to you before, but I have... Two pretty good personal friends who came to Australia a few years ago. And uh, one of them had his own business. He'd sent his kids to Australia for a university education. And then he and his wife had finally decided to pull the plug. They sold their business. They, they had to exchange their Venezuelan currency on the black market for euros mm. or something so that they could just leave with some, some kind something. of cash in their hands. Right. And they made a big loss on that trade, of course, as you do on the black market. But they got out, they got to Australia, and uh, things didn't work out too well here either. But they just said the country was just going down the toilet, and they were just it's, glad to be out. But it's at a phenomenal rate within the last few decades. Yeah. See, the, the thing is, Venezuela hit its heyday in the 60s and the yeah. 70s. Yeah. And when it hit those two lost decades, it hasn't recovered. And what's happened is it had a slight bump up there with the petroleum rise yep. but since then it's just been exacerbated and it's gone instead of circling the toilet it's been flushed immediately straight down, yep. straight down. it's sad but again if, we, if, we focused solely if, a lot of your argument mm -hmm. and your and your hypothesis on it mm -hmm. is based strictly within the confines of the economic facets of venezuela it's not taking into account the huge problem within mm -hmm. the socio the socioeconomic level, but also within the socio, because it's hard to pull those two things apart. Mm. But the socioeconomic levels, you're talking about 1% of the wealth owning 70% of, and here in Australia, mm. you can exacerbate that tenfold in Venezuela. And it has been like that for generations. Mm. Mm. And then when you come in there and immediately you wipe, around, wipe out the established power order with these socialist revolutions like that, it's too quick of a change. And there's a 
There's obvious same thing that happened in Iraq. There's a power and, vacuum. Yeah, and of course the the people with power who are being removed are going to not make it, it easier. Th- exactly, they're going to sabotage the result of if at all course. possible because they <laughs> of don't want it to be, appear successful. These yeah. are the people who are in power yeah. that were keeping the government yeah. and the and the government running yeah. as it was. Yep. So. Uh, the Bank of England sees 31 tonnes of Venezuelan gold worth about $1.3 billion, and the United States has frozen something like $9 billion of profits of Citco. So mm. that's a lot of money. So, um, you know, if Venezuela had access to that money, arguably that buys a lot of food. But, but, see, see, I would disagree with but, that because, because who has that money? Anything. Who yeah. has that money? It, it's it's Venezuelan government money. Venezuelan government money, right? Yes. And the levels of corruption that go yeah. through, we, you've seen internationally abroad, even here in Sydney, mm. you see Venezuelan diplomats, Chavista diplomats, Maduro diplomats, right? Chastised by Venezuelan populists who are here, mm. calling them shame, shame, throwing things at them. I think there was the ambassador's daughter at Sydney's beach, you can find the articles, mm. that was chastised and raised off while Venezuelan secret security hushed them away and got them out. And that's because the level of corruption in Venezuela is beyond comparison. Um, my, my younger niece went to Lausanne American School in Switzerland and she went there with another Venezuelan diplomat and this kid would literally buy shots and drinks and just pay for everyone every weekend because he wanted to be well liked. Sure. And there's one, no way that his father could afford, let alone the tuition cost of the Lausanne American School in Switzerland, mm. let alone to be financing this kid on a government bureaucratic payroll it's it's just impossible the level of corruption that is in venezuela that's systemic throughout the government you're saying yes if venezuela had this money could they pay it off yes would that go to pay it off or would it be going to funding private bank accounts and you know foreign education for diplomat sons and Mm -hmm. shoring up military support of the government i think that's probably more or less likely where you would find that money going yeah well we get back to you know uh, is, is the US the world's policeman? And is it their role to be saying, you know what, I don't think that country's going to do the right thing with that, uh, with that money, we're going to withhold it and, you know, it's, it's our decision. So you ah. could do that with any number of countries where you might say this African country, uh, we're now going to just um, take all of the assets because it's clearly a corrupt government that's going to... You know, the Philippines government, you know, they could have done it with the Philippines. Well, they did. <coughs> Well, they, they didn't actually step in and stop. Uh, what's his name? The guy that died, Marcos. Marcos. Mm. They didn't actually step in and do that with him, but they didn't actually raise any complaints when the people's. No, but they didn't confiscate the Filipino wealth in America, did they? No. So, you know, exactly. but there were U.S. No, but bases it was in the Philippines, and they probably wanted to Correct. sort of. You know, it was that old saying. You know, he may be a son of a bitch, but he's, but he's our, our son, son of a bitch. bitch you know, yeah, yeah. correct. And, he, and that's that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Venezuela chose to put those assets in the United States because they thought it would be a safe place to store these assets. They didn't bank on the United States turning around on them and saying, "Ah, and now the U.S. has," and it's caught them with their pants down, and. That money Indeed, was, nobody thought they would. That yeah, money was right. stored in the U.S. Why was it stored mm. in the U.S., right? Well, because what, that was perceived. Interest. Well, yeah, earning they, interest. Right, well, they had exactly. a series of petrol stations there, like gas stations. So it makes sense. That's where you're, you've produced an oil. You're going to sell it So they were gaining so. money off of these gas stations in the U.S. So this was yeah, an investment yeah. by the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So wouldn't it make sense to stay on what, the United States' good side if they're going to be investing so heavily within that nation? I wouldn't invest in Australia and then start spitting in Australia's face. Yeah, but just because if a country spat in our face, we wouldn't confiscate their assets. Like, that's 
you know, you, you, just because another country doesn't like you doesn't mean you can take their assets. And no. the danger for America is that a lot of European countries have now taken their gold reserves out of, physically out of the US because mm. they, they no longer trust them. And America relies on trust. Like, this will come back to bite America because other countries are going, hmm, if you can do it to Venezuela, you might do it to us. And But Venezuela's and, not the first president. We've done this to North Korea. We've done this to thousands of countries. North Korea never had any money invested in the United oh, States. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Agreed in, but we put sanctions on and stop trading. We yeah. isolate nations all the time. Yeah. All yeah, the Cuba, time. We did it with Cuba. Was Cuba was the playground of all what? All wealthy Americans <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back in the day. And then... Until the revolution. Exactly, and very similar, then just cut off instantly, overnight. Yeah, so basically, you're, you're, Venezuela, you were stupid enough to put your money in America where it might be confiscated. You should never have trusted the Americans. Mm. You, should have, you should have diversified your, your business interests out of America, yeah. essentially. It's because, one way, that's because, one perspective, absolutely. Because America can't be yeah. trusted. Well, you must know who you're getting into bed with. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I absolutely. I honestly believe that. There we go. Keep saying it again. <laughs> it's my considered opinion <laughs> that uh, the Venezuelan government should have managed their oil assets a hell of a lot better. They shouldn't have. Im- oh, absolutely. They shouldn't have imposed their chavista. Is that the word? Chavistas. Chavistas management on them. Mm-hmm. They should have kept the reasonable management in there. They should have negotiated with them when they went on strike mm. and got them back to work. And then they would have had a, they would have had a continuing but, but flow. Easier, on. And they these did things are nation- easier said than done, though. Like we've already said, when you're t- attempting to take power away from powerful people, they're going to sabotage it and not make it easy. So, yeah, but, but then instituting a program of nationalisation ma- would not would not help that. I don't believe that the middle management were there trying to stick it up the government's. They weren't just raising their middle finger to the government. They were they. No, they were selfish. They were like, oh, yeah. I'm losing this. This is hurting me in this asset in this way. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, but, the, the, the but managers not, were losing money, were they? The, ma- the managers would probably be losing out underneath the Chavista re- regime, right? Yeah. So they weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to stick it up to government to hurt the government. They were literally trying to defend themselves by unionizing and trying to get the government to capitulate to their needs. Instead, they were sacked and removed from position. Yeah. The government made a poor decision, in my mind, on that. But, but how are you ever going to do it? Like, this, the same thing happened with Mossadegh in uh, Iran. So he nationalized... Because, you know, the British Petroleum had a ridiculously... Uh, they were paying ridiculous amounts of royalty back to the country, like zero. And he said, look, well, this can't continue. This, this deal was made by corrupt previous governments and you're getting a deal that you do not deserve. I'm going to nationalise you. We're going to pay you a fair price but not the ridiculous price you've got. And, of course, what does an oil company do? Like... I've, you know, makes arrangements to overthrow the government. Like, yeah, exactly. So anybody in this powerful... <laughs> Who this wouldn't is diff- do that? Yeah, this is, yeah. This it's is good business. difficulty when previous governments have either been forced to or, you know, corruptly agreed to provide very sweet deals for international, you know, oil companies often. It's incredibly difficult to, to turn that around and undo it. And you can mm. say, oh, well, you know, the Venezuelan government was, you know didn't do a good enough job of it. Mm. But it's almost impossible to do it because these people are going to fight every step of the way and create mayhem mm. so that the yeah, government's I, eventually overthrown and a government so comes in I, that will I, let them I, continue I, I, business I, as usual. It's my considered opinion that the management and that sort of stuff in that company 
they should have been maintained there. They should have been sta- They should have stayed they there. They stopped producing. And they told but, their workers, go so on should have, exactly. in, in my opinion, this revolution should have been a gradual and slow yeah. process. Instead, mm. they were too exuberant mm. and too enthusiastic with it. That was mm. their downfall. Good. They yeah. should have taken slow and baby steps. I'm sorry, this is where yeah. the conservative in me will come out and say, yeah. I don't want fast change. Yeah. I want slow mm reliable change that I can see. And if it is too bad, I can take a step back and fix it quickly. Mm. The Chavistas came in guns ho and they led, I mean, they were basically inspired by Castro and I mean, these ideas of these Latin revolutions mm. and building this, I mean, a worker's paradise, you know, they were going to redistribute the wealth. They were mm. going to take the oil and mm. lift thousands of people out of poverty mm. overnight. That mm. was the promise. Mm. And that they had to make good on that promise. Mm. Mm. And a lot of people became literate and they were, for the peasant class, there was significant gains yes. during the Chavista regime. And I'm now, saying. under the Maduro regime, mm. the same mm. literate people are mm. dying in the streets and suffering from illnesses that were once mm. eradicated in that mm. country. Mm. And now we have a million Venezuelans in Colombia, mm. 600,000 in Brazil. Uh, we have 300,000 coming to the United States. I mean, the future of Venezuela, with the education drain it's having, the societal problems, and the society that's entirely left, the middle class that's evaporated, Mm. I, don't, I mean, even if the government was to fall in a revolution tomorrow, mm. my hopes for Venezuela being a bright country in the, in the next decade or two, non-existent. Okay. Even if you removed this government and installed uh, an authoritarian banana republic mm. government, it's, the, the, it be, suffered too much. They'll be fine. They'll crank up the oil fields. America will buy it again. And... But uh, away they go. The, the oh. people who are who are left there are not prepared. You'd have to import mm. these people. That's what they'll do. They'll they will but say to a U.S. oil company, go in there and take over and run the show for us, and we'll pay a pittance of royalty to the Venezuela people, and and uh, they'll be they'll be up and away again. Even but, even the narcissist in me would mm. say that's preferable to mm. the situation on the ground currently. Mm. And it'll be a lesson to any revolutionaries out there that if you try and, <laughs> you try uh, and disrupt things US, too quickly, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stop you. No, yeah, I, we'll I, make I, it so I, bad. We will, we will sacrifice the population in order to stop you. So do you think unfri- if the US unfroze all those assets, think, things would turn around? It would be a... T- no. It would not be... It, it would be... Well, would the government want to feed people. Well, we have to recognise that the government today is starkly different than the government of Chavez. Yes. The government of Chavez had... If if you've ever listened to Mm. Chavez speak in his speeches, he's a brilliant speaker and he appeals Mm. to the mass generals Mm. and and the the mass public. And the general common man in Venezuela Mm. loved Chavez. Mm. Nicolas Maduro is not Chavez. Sure. Nicolas Maduro has done things that Chavez would have never dreamed about, such as creating an entirely new branch of government to to defunct the legislative branch because it became more opposition stacked. And he just removed the entire branch and created a new one. There's no. You talked about yes, that system of trust the, in Venezuela. The, it's the, gone. The High Court or the Supreme Court of Venezuela agreed more or less with that. With that, because it's theory. been stacked with chavistas. As right. soon as the count, as soon as that council was uh, opposition garnered, right, right by Henrique Capriles. Right. Yeah. As soon as that happened, Nicolas Maduro stacked the Supreme Court with chavistas, and then using that Supreme Court, created a new legislative lance to pass his own laws to crack down on a population that was rising up against his revolution, mm. counter-revolutionists. Mm. It's also murky, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, it's complex. Yes. Sure. It's, you know, everybody's at fault, and 
the people who are suffering are the poor people who are just uh, well, stuck in the middle in the firing line. I so think that those that are mostly at fault are the government of Venezuela. And that's why I said right at the time when this whole thing first started, I would prefer if this guy that was the interim president, the, the self-appointed interim president. Which one? Whatever his name is. Maduro. No, not Maduro. The, the, the Gui- opposition. Gui- Guido. Oh, the leader of um, the opposition. Yeah. Guido Apparently. something rather yeah. or something Guido. I would prefer if he was president. However, you know, they've got to wait until the next election comes around. They've got to get up into the elections and they've got to remove, the, they've got to remove Maduro and, and, legally. And let's not forget that Guido's only being recognised as the president because Capriles has been locked up, Okay. Because Radonsky has been locked up, all of these count, all of these opposition leaders have been jailed, mm. harassed, and thrown mm. into jail. I mean, or I mean, completely decimated and scattered to the wind. People mm. have disappeared. Do you think the elections are actually free and honest? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, what about the one that the Carter admin, um, group supervised? Which one was that? So it was the last one, wasn't so it? So the one before the last. The one before the last yes. one. Yes. Didn't the, I was pretty sure the UN declared that as... No, the Carter Group, so Jimmy Carter, former yep. president, has uh, in charge of a group that goes to countries with questionable election practices, and they gave it the green light. So, I don't know if I'll find We're talking about 2013? That would be about right. Yeah. 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 So... What about but, since then? Have there been elections? But, but your then? argument to that would be, well, the Shiv... The, the peasant class were happy with what was happening at that point. I would so, also, I would so also argue that by that farms. stage you have a significant population that's been barred from voting and has been sent out of the country or fled the country who's not participating in voting. Right. I haven't voted in Venezuela. I'm an active citizen in Venezuela and I have not voted in any of the elections since Chavez took power. Simply because right now my, my Venezuelan passport is expired. For me to get my Venezuelan passport renewed, the Venezuelan government is so poor they can't open an... Uh, a general consulate in Brisbane and the ambassador from Sydney has to be flown up here at the expense of all the Venezuelan nationals up here. Even then, you still have to pay the ambassador a severance fee or a consolation fee or it's basically increasing the palm, a bribe for him to give you this passport. And even then, the passport is still not guaranteed. The Carter's so these people living abroad, they're not eligible to vote. They have no way to vote. They have no voice in this at all. So they've effectively been silenced. They've been silenced. A large population of the of Venezuelan have been disenfranchised since before, since immediately when Chavez took power. You're talking about when he wanted to take power from those people. Those people have been silenced. The election before last, the, the Carter group said that was a free and fair election, but you don't think it was. If you're talking about the one in 2013, yeah. it, no, I would argue it's not. I would argue it's not. Right. Well, they were charged with being there on the ground and, uh, okay, no system's perfect, but, you know, try and be an American and vote on a Tuesday. Like, it must be difficult for people who are, you know, <laughs> standing in a queue for five hours in order to vote. So, um, And even then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's finish Venezuela for the moment. Do you think we could persuade the United States people to switch their voting day to a Saturday or something a bit more reasonable? No. From uh, this podcast, I mean. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Republicans want to change it because it's tougher for poor people to vote on yeah, Tuesday. So they have to go to work. Yeah. So thoughts on that? No. Oh, on the election in the uh, yeah. states? No. No. I have more thoughts on Venezuela if we could bring yeah, it back. Yeah. yeah. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Um, 
Okay, so in 2013, after 14 years of rule, Chavez dies of cancer at the age of 48, right? Nicolas Maduro assumes the presidency, right? Nearly wins the election, which is what you're talking about, the election that was, you know, guard, uh, observed by the Carter Group. Yes. And I could... Look, if, there, if, if I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was a fair election, I would say that Nicolas Maduro did not win that election. The ghost of Chavez won that election. Sure. And the want for the continuation of the Chavista programs, the Chavista mm. promises, that won the election. Yeah, okay. Right. Once that took place, with inflation at more than 50% a year, the National Assembly gives Maduro emergency powers for a year beginning in November. Okay. Yep. Fast forward to 2014, public spending is curtailed because of low oil prices. The oil has fallen down. Anti-governments are now being broken yep. up with force. At that stage, the new Venezuelan government is losing all essence of sovereignty. They're no longer protecting their own population. What? They're cracking up. Why was there high inflation? That Maduro's government inept corrupts uh, the corrupt but, nature. But, Go ahead. But corruption doesn't cause inflation. Mismanagement. Backing out, uh, political disagreement. It's multi-levels. It's no one good answer for a that. Net outflow of um, of currency from the country. People buying stuff and not exporting. Enough. People trying to get their money out of the country before they can. Black market economy. But I mean, the inflation. My understanding is that most of the goods and that sort of stuff in Venezuela are imported. Everything is imported into yeah. Venezuela. There's nothing domestically produced outside of oil production. Right. If you've got a very low currency then anything coming in is going to be very expensive. So that's where your inflation comes from. Correct. And then yeah. your trading partners are limited. Well, 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 it's going to go up even further. Yeah. In, inflation comes because you've printed money or no, because... because you've printed money because you, you're you importing most of your stuff. And if your currency is worth less than what it used to be, mm. then... Everything has to go, go up, up relatively. Yeah. It has to go up in price. But see, my, my crucial point mm. is the loss of responsibility of the government. Mm. Okay? It's the mm. loss of sovereignty of the government. And that happened again here in 2015 when the opposition Democratic Unity Party wins control of the National Assembly, ending 16 years of Socialist Party rule. Right After that, the government of Maduro decides to create a new legislative body in 2017 when it can no longer pass any laws. The government is in a political deadlock, right? And they assume the new right to pass laws. Crackdowns in response to anti-government protests leave more than 100 dead in the first day of this alone. Mm -hmm. Okay, at what stage is the government of Venezuela for the people of Venezuela and not for a corrupt uh, what what's clique clique? But what's yeah. there's a yeah. uh, a cabal a cabal mm. becomes the cabal or the narco cabal the Petrov cabal of Venezuela. When is it no longer representative of the government? And I mean that was 2015, mm -hmm. and we're talking about the sanctions Mike Pence put in coming in with Donald Trump in mid what 2016 2017 as we were discussing earlier. I mean these are all actions taken by a government that no longer recognizes the sovereignty of a foreign national government. I mean, in my mind, the United States' actions are justified. I take, yeah, I, I will take you to task on that. I don't think the Americans are justified in that. I do believe that Maduro should go, but I don't believe it's right that the Yanks have actually locked everything up the way they have. So um, I've got a foot in Trevor's camp there. I do think that you've got to keep that money flowing into Venezuela mm. and then... When it gets corrupted away and that sort of stuff, the Yanks should sit there on the sideline and say, look, we hand them then $10 billion mm. and $9 billion have been, have been, has been pissed up against the wall into Swiss bank accounts, mm. which is all in, there, in these bastards' notes. Exactly. Now, I, I'll, I'll play it. Now, I just want to state I'm playing devil's advocate. Go for because it. Because mm. 
There's war hawks in the United States who uh, aim for in, in intervention. They want to get together with Colombia and Brazil and intervene militarily. Yeah. And I think that would be the greatest mistake ever. Absolutely. Okay. Would be, yeah. Now, so what is the alternative to that? If we are going to just, again, I'm playing devil's advocate what, what, and why? say the United States is world police and it's the United States job to come in here and fix this government that's creating this problem. What is the other option outside of military intervention other than economic restraint? Well, can't they just leave them alone? But then you have to let their socialist revolution proceed with, yes. you know, the, with the anti-democratic values that it has. Well, it's a duly elected government with a Supreme Court that authorized what was done with its legislative council. So that was so, stacked. Yeah, the well, that was stacked. Yeah. It was stacked well, and corrupt. It's I, not. It's not. But it's a, it's shit happens around the world all the time. Yeah. And you could say that the U.S. Supreme Court is stacked. I was just I mean, going to say that. Like, <laughs> Again, so, I'm playing devil's yeah, advocate here. So, but out. It's none of America's business. Mm. They should just trade with them as per normal and hope the country gets its act together and from the sidelines offer assistance and advice to who it perceives to be the opposition if it wants mm. to do that. But it mm. can't be just... But see, if when, we, when you said before they shouldn't... There shouldn't be a military action. That would be a disaster. Why? Why would that be a disaster? What's what? What is it about that that you don't like? The Middle East isn't bad enough. We need to create one in our own backyard. It would exactly. create a mess. Yeah, yeah. But a financial siege has created this mess as well. Like when you talked about millions of people evacuating over the border, dying in the streets. Right. That's fine. You know, they didn't fire a cannon or a gun, but the financial attack that the was, US made has achieved the same result. But so, only within that nation itself, a military intervention could spill well, over into Brazil, Colombia. Yeah, not that I, the refugee population hasn't already spilled into I'm, it. I'm not suggesting the US should do it militarily, mm, but what yeah. I'm saying is that the effect of a financial attack has created extreme hunger, poverty and disaster in Venezuela, much the same as a military attack would. Yeah. But that's not just the US, it's also, as we said, endemic of Venezuela's actions. I think yeah. Venezuela has brought this on themselves. <laughs> However, I do believe that the Yanks were wrong in actually locking everything up. Yeah, look, I that. tend to agree. I don't think the US has a right to steal their money. I mean, they're effectively stealing their money. But at the same time, and I don't think a military intervention is a good idea either. Mm. But I, I do agree that these socialist governments have brought this mess upon themselves, you know, and... Sadly, the well, common people are the ones who are paying well, the price. Well, for, for trying to uh, have a, a, a revolution too quickly, was there... Was well, there for going idea? about it in probably... The wrong manner. Yeah. Well, how do you go about redressing a situation where oil companies are basically taking massive profits on deals that are far too good that were done by previously either inept or corrupt governments that have shackled renegotiate the, current... the contracts. Well, yeah. well renegotiate... that's what they're doing, and they get shafted. They didn't renegotiate the contract. They, they pitched to... it. They, they, they nationalised the asset. No, they try... This is what happens with these revolutionary governments, is they try and cut a deal, like Mossadegh did in Iran. Is You can take that off. You won't need it on there. <laughs> is... They try and cut a deal and they and say, this is too sweet. You can't have paying us 2% royalty. It's going to have mm. to be 30%. And these mm. companies say, no, piss off. So the same thing with the Venezuelan oil companies would be deals, hey, come on, lift it up. Well, no way. Well, now we're going to have to nationalise you. Like, this is what happened in Chile as well. Like, 
this happens all the time. It happened in Cuba. Like, um, Castro offered the, um, the, the business owners there money for their... We're talking um, about the sugarcane farms. Yeah, different, different farms offered mm. money, and they just said, no deal is going to be good enough for us. We're not for sale. And he was mm. like, well, you have to be because this is too good. And so you're faced with a situation where these people won't negotiate in good faith, and why would they? Because they've got all the power and they're just going to go, well, we're just going to cause you a world of pain. You, if we hang out here long enough, there'll be a new government and we won't have to deal with you. See, I would disagree because the world is changing, society is changing, and the way mm. we communicate is changing. These deals were, like you said, done by previous administrations and previous governments where things could be done in the shadows and in the dark back rooms between politicians. Now all these things are becoming exposed. Yeah, if, thing, if they'd given it time, maybe they could have done it implement, you know, in small steps. Well, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Small st- well, so I, what's, I, I what's, just said. I, I, I just agree. Said, what's no, the solution? I, Where do we go from here? Well, from assuming here. we are appointed the, you know, the well, Supreme Council. Again, I've been playing Venezuela. devil's advocate the whole yeah. time. I don't believe, you know, I just want it stated. I don't believe the U.S. should be playing world police to begin with, as is. Mm-hmm. And I, you and me, have spoken on this many times. I just, or no, it was Mark. I mean, NATO has outlived its role since the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It's like there's, there's, it has. Yeah, yeah, there's so many problems mm-hmm. there. I've been playing devil's advocate in this. But, I mean, if you get back to it and you want to talk about what we should do, mm-hmm. we have to talk about so many other things first because mm-hmm. we have to put it back into context. Well, well, you know, I think that um, what we ought to do is I think the Yanks should, should unfreeze the Venezuelan assets. Currently, with the current government in Absolutely, power. yeah. And I, just because what they ought to do is sit there on the sidelines and point to them every time the money gets pissed up against the wall into a Swiss bank account. They should actually say, look, you know, we handed over $10 million, $9 million of it's ended up in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. The other $1 million isn't filtered through to the... Mm. To the isn't very, that prolonging the suffering of the current population that can't escape? Well, the, the, the population that can't escape now is suffering anyway. If you release that money, only 10% of it makes it through. At least 10% of it's made it through. But I don't believe that's going to be enough to... It's not going to yeah. be... It's going to be enough to end the pain or anything like that. No. What it's doing, it's propping up a failing government. Nine, that's nine billion dollars buys you a lot of rice. I know, it buys you a lot of yeah, rice. That's, that's, it goes to that's assuming, that's assuming that's that right. goes it's through to rice. rice. I'm saying that most of it's going to end up in Switzerland. Probably. Yeah. You know? On Maduro's exit plan. Mm. Do you know, if, you, if you look it up, you can see the stats. It's been exposed. Maduro's kids and Chavez's daughter are unbelievably wealthy who were absolutely destitute beforehand. Mm. Maduro was a bus driver, for Christ's sake. Mm. It's like, I just, you can't make this stuff up. It mm. sounds like something out of Animal Farm. Mm. Indeed. This is the, 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 the whole situation needs to be looked at very strong. I agree with Trevor. I think you've got to have the Yanks over there giving advice and that sort of stuff and saying well, actually, to them, anybody else other than the Yanks would be good. Well, okay. know, somebody else. <laughs> give the British the case. The British can then give the advice to the, to the Venezuelans. Hey, and say to them, where do you think the Americans the, learned all this colonialism exactly. from? Okay, the British. It's <laughs> like, all right, let's like, let's. Well, 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 no, they did it a different way. So the, the British sort of went in yeah, and physically guns had, and empire. had yeah. their soldiers in place, whereas the Americans basically said, well, we want our companies in there and you can have your own government, provided they run things the way we want, but yeah. our, governments are gonna, our companies are going to own everything. So mm. that was their form of colonialism, was mm. installing their companies and saying, well... It's economic mm. colonialism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a different form. 
So. Yeah, but I mean, that's a product of the Cold War, right? Mm. Trying to have the, you know, communist and socialist spheres of influence versus the free market and the, you know, second world versus first world. I mean, that's just... It's also American companies pursuing their own interests. Oh, of yeah. course, American, yeah. you know, American fruit company is just classic yeah. down in South America. It's So just back to, uh, so anything else in particular about Venezuela? Can we move on now to something else? Yeah, okay. yeah, I don't they want have to hold the up most degree. beautiful women yeah. in the world. We've right. won the most universe, Miss Universe <laughs> contest more than any other nation. We have yes. the highest waterfall in the world, Angels yeah. Falls. It is a country of unmatched beauty, mm. rich culture, mm. hugely diverse, and amazing food. And it is an absolute shame what is happening you, to that nation. Is it safe to go back for you? Absolutely not. Right. I have family who are yeah. still stuck in Venezuela who cannot right. leave because they can't get passports. Right, mm. right. Yep. Yep. So you'll never go back. I, I, I hesitate to say never. Yeah. If the country falls, I actually think that there will be, mm. again, I, the pessimist in me, I told you I'm a realist. Mm. I think if the country does fall, the Americans and the Western countries will be very quick to go back in there. These companies, these European companies, these American companies, these Canadian companies, Australian mm. companies will be very quick. Chinese companies are already there because they support Nicolas mm. Maduro. Mm. There's Cuban doctors there doing this right now. Mm. But if this system falls apart and they go there, it'll be just like when my grandfather went there after Franco in Spain. Mm. There'll be a lots of opportunity and there'll be a need for serious development. There's a lot of crucial things that we take for granted every day in the West that are lacking in Venezuela. And when that country falls apart and it's time to rebuild, there will be so much opportunity. And again, I want to highlight this, the world's largest oil reserves. That country should be unparalleled. Unparall I'm sorry, I'm, I swear I'm an English teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that country should be standing head and shoulders above every other Latin American con yeah. uh, country in that, in that sphere of influence. Yeah. And I think that it has the potential to. Yeah, they got unlucky. They just had a lot of oil. It was, it was, a, it was a curse at the same time. A double-edged so. double sword, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, before the boys arrived, we briefly diverted into Syria. And uh, you <laughs> thought... Now, so your, your position is that... Uh, you think that America has interfered way too much around the world. Mm. And when it comes to Syria, though, you think it was the right idea for Trump to pull out. Absolutely. And, and, um, but you, it's sort of like, it was my question was, should they have done anything to protect the Kurds upon leaving? And you felt no. Look, there's a moral obligation to always protect your friend and ally. The Kurds mm. in Syria are very interesting. I have a lot of friends who have gone over and fought with the YPG, uh, volunteered as medics and stuff, lots of Australian diggers who've gone over there and helped with mm. the Rojava. And the Syrian Kurds are an amazing. I want to give them all the, all the credit that's due. I mean, they put women in the battle line. They have women national leaders in an area that's incredibly misogynistic, mm -hmm. okay? I mean, you want to talk about a socially progressive culture? Mm -hmm. You've got to tap your hat to the Kurds, yeah. okay? Now, when we get down to the nitty-gritty, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. If I'm the United Excellent. States... And no, actually, am, don't play devil's advocate. Tell me your position. This my position. Y yes, your, your thoughts on I'm, this. I'm a realist. Yeah, yeah. It's just like my, I mean, my, my ideals and what is that going to actually do? That's like, well, I'm, it's, I'm interested in your opinion. I don't want to know your devil's advocate role. Okay. I want to know your opinion. The Kurds could have been protected. We could have used a lot of other outside influences to force Turkey's hand as a NATO ally to back off. At what cost? And you have to weigh up the, the gains and the costs, right, of doing that. Mm -hmm. NATO, Turkey is a NATO ally. 
they hold American nuclear weapon silos. It's like, I mean, they have in the past, they've supported us. It's, they've shot down Russian jets just recently. They've suffered their own coup recently. We have to realize the condition of this, of this NATO ally of ours. Okay, it was not too long ago that the Ottoman Empire was referred to as the sick man of Europe. I would almost classify Turkey as the sick man of Europe again. And it's like, you have to realize what er Erdogan is. It's, if this man is going after the Kurds in Syria and they're on his doorstep and the PKK and the Kurds in Turkey are recognized as an international terrorist group by the United States, by NATO, by the UN, it makes it a very hard ground for the US to say, look, NATO ally Turkey, don't do this. We're going to keep our 30-odd special forces here in a country that we were not asked to come into by the Syrian government, that we are not internationally recognized as having legal rights and presidents to be in that country for. It's a very hard ground to stand on. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So then, leave, and, but just abandon them, not do anything. Not abandon them. We could have taken steps. And you know what? I'm not saying Trump didn't. You know, we don't I mean, we don't know... Nothing's been What's announced that he did anything. It just seems like he just said, get out of there, and that was uh, it. He wrote a strong letter. If you mm. read the letter, it's, mm. you know, it's not eloquent, as mm. not, you know, any of Trump's speeches or anything Trump does is nothing's eloquent. Well, but, um, do you, do you think the, the, you know, the leaders of relatively powerful countries or powerful countries really take Trump very seriously? Because he's so inconsistent. I think Erdogan apparently, reportedly, just laughed at Trump and said... I heard, I heard he balled up the letter and threw it in the trash. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the... As you would. That's the rumour. Mm. Look, um, Erdogan is not much of an ally, is he, even as a member of NATO? Again, this goes back he, to NATO. He has repeatedly threatened the leaders of uh, the European Union mm. that he will open the floodgates of with refugees. refugees. You know, he says, if you don't do what I want... I'm going to flood you with refugees. I mean, what sort of ally is that? Well, he's, what he's, sort of ally is America? Come on, that's what about if, if you're a, if you're a Kurd, <laughs> that's what about Now we're talking about Turkey. We're not talking about America now. Mm. Well, uh, I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Um, look, I remove them. You have to discuss them both. Yeah, Arturo and I work with a number of uh, Turkish people in in our line of work, and every single one of them that I've spoken to didn't like Erdogan. Every single one. I haven't met one of them who thought no. he was a, a good guy or a good leader. He's an extremist Islamist, he and is. he's trying to reestablish an Ottoman Empire, That's and he right. doesn't have the funds to do it, and he's a dangerous man he's there. He's a very and dangerous man. if he wants man. to come after the Kurds there, you know, it's, if the U.S. is trying to extrapolate themselves from that region, defending the Kurds is only going to dig the heels in deeper. Yeah, but the, you, you had a situation there was only a 1,000 special forces in the area. Yeah, there was 30. 30, not 1,000. There was 30, 30. No, 30. 30,000 30, 30, 30, 30, 30 individuals. There were 30 individuals in the region being taken by that last Turkish operation that the U.S. pulled out. There was 30. Look it up. There was 30. That's Sorry. even more ridiculous. He only had 30 there. These are special forces. I know. There's just 30 special forces yep. who wouldn't have been able to hold back the Turkish army had the, exactly. Turkish, had the Turkish decided to roll on the area. But the fact that they were there, there meant that the Turks wouldn't were, do it. Weren't going to roll. That's not true. The oh. Turks were shelling areas around the special forces. And oh. if you remember, not too long ago, I think it was two years ago, Russian mercenaries attacked a special forces base in Syria. That's right. Straight and they on. in an airstrike. And so that's it's what like saved your, your, your argument that because American special forces are there, nothing's going to happen mm. is flawed, mm -hmm. fundamentally flawed. Well, I think that if, I think had the Yanks have actually stayed there, though. 
the Turks would have not rolled in on them. Maybe not as heavy. Maybe not as heavy, but they wouldn't have rolled in on them. Had they have actually attempted to, then the Yanks could have said, well, you want to take on 30 of us? You can take on 30,000 of us. Of course. It's what they represent. (laughs) But then again, you're pitting U.S. forces against a NATO ally. Absolutely Mm. you are. But... You've already said that he's not much of an ally. I agree, but this goes back to the problem of NATO. Yeah. It's like... There's another factor. Trump hotels in Turkey, reportedly. Probably. Reportedly they Mm. exist. Is Mm. that right? In uh, Istanbul or Ankara? Probably Istanbul, the the more cosmopolitan part of Turkey. It wouldn't surprise me. And Trump is protecting his assets. Mm. Mm. You know, who knows what's going on out of earshot. Exactly, what's going on behind the curtains. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm saying Aragon and and Trump might be what back and forth in front of us, but we don't know what the backhand is doing with each other. You know? Yeah. And again, I mean, I have to come back to this because it's such a big deal. It is a NATO ally. You cannot, I mean, the whole fundamental practice behind NATO is these nations standing against each other to contain the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union is gone. Now they're containing what? Russian influence, Chinese influence. Mm -hmm. But you cannot be staging U.S. special forces or any U.S. forces against a NATO ally. It defeats the whole purpose of NATO. Calls into question. NATO is already struggling to explain why Russian... And Turkish forces are jointly patrolling this Syrian, this Syrian demarcation line. It's a big yeah? question. It is a big question. And NATO allies and NATO general secretaries are struggling to come up with an answer why a NATO ally is working hand-in-hand with Russia, which, yeah. again, is mind-boggling considering Turkey shot down a Russian jet mm. not more than three years ago and killed one of their pilots. Indeed. And, I mean, it's mind-boggling what is going yeah. on in that and, region. And, as you and, mentioned, there's a major U.S. air base in Turkey. Uh, yes, and it's, it, you, it's mind-boggling to think that the U.S. is trying to extrapolate itself and the Democrats in the United States who have been calling and worrying that Trump would start World War III with Russia or would start causing all these wars is actually pulling U.S. forces out and Mm. are now kicking up a fuss about it. Um, Don't get me wrong. Trump has got his issues. But if Trump cured cancer the next day, the Democrats would be complaining that cancer has a right to live. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. They probably would. Yeah, this is the problem. The U.S. interferes, makes a mess, and then, you know, what? the exit strategy, there never is one. It's oh, always a never. mess. That's no, the problem. There's never an exit strategy. So it should stay out of things. Yeah. But haven't got you in You think there. we would learn from and, Vietnam? Yes, you would think. So, well, I would have uh, thought so. Mm. Mm. All right. Unless somebody had something pressing to add, we've probably rambled on enough for an unusual episode. Mm. Yes. Scott, have you got anything in particular, or you will leave it can, all to next can, week? Can I ask a question oh, yeah. to the Aussies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you guys think of this Chinese influence coming into Australia? What influence are you referring to? I'm talking about the South China Sea and the kind of withdrawal from American dominance in the Southeast Pacific, and the position Australia is in, having to choose between its ally, military ally, the United States, the new marine base in Darwin, and its largest trading partner, and what seems to be soon approaching a cultural relationship with China that's displacing the United States. Yeah, we've talked about this, haven't we, to some degree? And I, I'll keep my opinions to myself because I'm, I'm truly it's, interested in y'all's opinions. Well, our opinions differ, but, mm. but it's very easy, Archer. America's on the way out. It's a, it's a decaying, dying empire. Uh, Australia should, uh, can't rely on America to be an ally at any time. Mm. Can't rely on them. Um, it, if it has to choose between the two in some area in the near future, it should side with China. Jesus Christ. And 
At the end of the day, you, you, uh, remember you when we first met? I said this. I said most Australians to, think like. And are the, you going to sit on I the finish? sidelines can and I watch China invade can Taiwan? I, can, I, can I finish? Absolutely. And um, it's actually really difficult for China to invade Australia. Like, it's well, we're it's an not island. So difficult well, for them it? to it's, invade it'll, Taiwan. It'll economically invade. Well, and. Uh, in the same way that America already has. Exactly, yes. Like, it will displace our America top 20 companies are majority owned by, you know, US interests. So, mm. so, uh, so it's simple. We shouldn't be um, bending over backwards for the Americans because they're not necessarily going to help us unless it happens to be in their interests at the time when we ask them. And uh, our trade is with China increasingly and... Uh, in terms of fear of China actually invading Australia, it's not easy. No, it's there's, a, there's a lot of water and uh, we have a capacity to uh, stop an invasion. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't go. believe Australia is in danger of being invaded by China. You know, not in the and that was never term. my question either, military invasion. No, China. but it comes no. down to the question when you say which one are you going to choose or how do you feel about the relationships, you have to take into account the level of threat. Well, I mean, I honestly mm. believe that, you know, it's... I honestly believe. Oh, no, I said it's it my understanding. Yeah, it's my understanding that the United States is not a reliable ally. Mm. Except you know, they saved our asses in World War II. They served they their did. own interests. They did save oh, our asses really in cynical. World War II. That's it's really the truth. Cynical. It's uh, the truth. Uh, have, have you read um, The China Choice by Hugh White? Uh, Hugh no. White has written something recently. Hugh White's written the white papers for mm. the defense of is, Australia. Is that he's the one a, you're talking about? Amazing. The one that came out with a few mm. months ago? Yes. Where he said we should have nuclear weapons? He's a proponent. He's... A, he's because he lost me at that point. He's not. A, I don't think he was the nuclear weapons, but he has promoted nuclear reactors in Australia. For I, think we, nuclear he, weapons. I think he basically I think said we need to be more self-sufficient in yeah. terms yes. of national defence. Correct. And I agree with but him. But he on also that. suggested that nuclear weapons should be on the table. I think I suggested crazy. that. <laughs> so he I, makes, he he makes an interesting argument, very similar to yours. I think you didn't enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, except for his nuclear sort of. But look, mm, yeah. The way I see it, the United States is, is, is definitely flawed, deeply flawed. But at least they have a liberal democratic political system, which means that no matter how bad the political leaders... Let me finish this time. No matter how bad the political leaders may be, they can be replaced. Correct. China can is... They? China, Xi Jinping is president for life. China can, does not have can, that luxury. The people they? of China are under the thumb of a, an absolutely ruthless dictatorship, an autocracy that will not give them one inch of freedom. Yes. And I stand with freedom every time. And our American friends may be flawed, but at least they're our friends and the Chinese are not our friends. And yeah. I'm not talking about the common Chinese people. I have a lot of respect, of a lot of affection for the common Chinese people, but they are being ruled by a gang of thugs. Mm. And a gang I of thugs is a description of the United States. No, no. They, they have been thugs around the world. They have if, been at times. If, at, at, but the at, Chinese When have will, they not been? Look, well, they, they, they have not been when they uh, helped uh, Japan reconstruct after the Second World War. They, they helped Western Wrote Europe reconstruct after the Second World War. They helped reconstruct liberal democracies, okay? And even Japan was, you know, it was a dictatorship prior to the Second World War, and that's how it got itself into that situation mm -hmm. became a nationalistic dictatorship now to their great credit the japanese have created a, an 
a very peaceful, prosperous, liberal democracy. And we should always stand with our liberal democratic friends. America is not a peaceful ally. It is a peaceful. They're waging war all over the planet. Yes, I I give you that. If we get into a war, it's because America dragged us into it. They're reformable. They have a democratic system. You say a leadership can be changed. When, When... if Joe Biden gets in, do you think he's any different to Bill Clinton? Like, do Joe, you think... Joe Biden's do, history. Do, do, he won't, the, he the, won't be president. The, the, the people in power, their names might change, but they're the same ilk. Look, people they're the still... Same, it's the same industrial military complex will rule whoever's in charge. You say the leadership can be changed? Yes, absolutely. Well, the industrial military complex at this rate cannot be changed, and it's the one who's in charge. Look, if given the, the, the will of enough people, of enough voters, they can change the system. It, it may not happen soon, but it's possible. In China, it is impossible. Yeah, okay. you could at least critique the United States from within the United States. Yes. You cannot critique China exactly. from within China. Exactly. And on that note, China has the largest number of organ uh, transplants every day around the world and the smallest number of donors. And it's like that is endemic of a society where you cannot report on the government. Oh, look, let's talk about incarceration rates then. Okay. Oh, let's, well, it's let's, not let's just about st- incarceration Well, it's rates. not just about organ transplants. Let, let's no, just it's pick, not. It was... Let's just pick any statistic look, you want. You or I. That is my point. You like, or I, even as foreigners. Who produces the most could, carrots? Like, even as foreigners, we out. could go to the Washington, D.C., stand outside the, the White House, hold up a placard and say Trump is an idiot. In fact, happens every day. Try doing that in Beijing. See what happens to you. Even in Hong Kong, pretty dangerous now. It's a different world. Oh, it's I'm talking about world. who we want as an ally. I'm I not want talking about people where I want to live who have the, the same values I'm, I'm, of liberal democracy and secularism. They're, they're not been into quiet, liberal love. democracy. They are. They're into overthrowing governments if it suits them. Uh, they don't give a shit about they, democracy uh, if they want a country's leadership change. It's a flawed they liberal democracy. They don't care that the Venezuelans voted for Maduro in a democracy. They're going, well, fuck democracy. We're putting somebody else in charge. Oh, don't, well, don't give me a, the That could be a critique of democracy. Hezbollah, <laughs> what, the Gaza Strip had democracy and they voted Hezbollah in power. Well, I don't know the details of that, but I'm just saying if you're, if you're putting forward America as, as being a lover of liberal democratic values, they're overthrowing democratic countries when it suits them. It can be changed from within. China cannot. We, there's no way the, the well, I, Chinese Communist Party are going to allow anything the, the to The argument change. isn't which is the country that is most changeable. The argument is which country is going to be a better ally for us or a more dangerous ally so you would choose, or the worst ally. You would choose a communist or, dictatorship or, as our closest well, ally. Well, I'm saying we shouldn't be relying on America as an ally. We should decouple ourselves from America. Perhaps in and terms say, of no, defence, yes. We, we're not but allies do, with you. Do you decouple at the expense of getting shoulder to shoulder? Shoulder with Beijing. Well, you don't have to don't do the same. It, it doesn't have to be the same thing. You no, don't have to. I don't think we should get shoulder to shoulder mm. with anyone. I believe that we're probably better off for copying our Kiwi cousins and saying, well, well they're not much help. No, they're not much help, <laughs> but they're tiny and that sort of stuff. They, but they are have, tiny. They have decoupled themselves from the ANZUS Alliance. It's basically the Oz Alliance now. They, is. Yeah. But they can come back on board and they probably will with time. We'll have to wait and see. But I think that they have set themselves up. They have, they were involved in Afghanistan. They were there under the United Nations flag. Mm-hmm. And they have set themselves up to be 
an international citizen that gets involved in things under the United Nations flag. Yeah. But they're small players. In Absolutely the they are. And I, and I just think that, mm. well, that we are small too. Mm. But I think that we should have an ANZ alliance, an Australian-New Zealand alliance, yeah. where we say that you know, each of us will come to each other's Agreed. aid. But I think that we should aim to be part of an international citizen and we should be saying if there's a United Nations operations that is approved by the United Nations, then we will look at it, we'll get involved. Mm. But I don't believe we should follow America on any sort of look, we, any sort of global okay, so that, thing they want to get involved in. That's good, in. and I was hoping someone would come to this because the basis of my question was, as I was speaking to you earlier, I'm a mm. UQ graduate, and I don't know mm. if you've seen what's happened in the news recently at UQ with the Lenin Wall and the Hong Kong yes. protesters yeah. and the fights that have been happening out yep. here with the opening of the Confucius Centers at UQ. Yep. So these are Australian independent education yep. societies. These institutions are building the building stones, the formation and the foundations of the future of Australia. And they are actively being manipulated mm. by a powerhouse in Beijing that controls that is directly controlled by the CCP. And you can say, even though the economy and your largest businesses here are American-backed, your education, which is becoming Australia's largest export, your education, your people, mm. because you no longer build anything here. There's no Ford. There's no GM. You don't build anything in Australia. We Very similar to Australia. <laughs> no, we don't. Very similar to Venezuela, <laughs> you know? I mean, where you're producing very little, you have to safeguard your education. And China is very smart. Okay, you can give yeah, China all the credit you want, but they're very smart, and their soft power is already in demonstration. You can see it in Top Gun 2, the movie. In the back of his jacket, it used to be a Republic of China flag and a Japanese flag, but because the, the, the studio is in cahoots with a Chinese company mm. to release it in China, they can't do that. So, so they've replaced it. The bad guys are no they've, they've, Chinese. They've replaced it, uh, the North Chinese Koreans. flag, yeah, with a, goal, with a red triangle <laughs> and the Chinese flag with an, a, a weird blue thing. Look well, it up. Just look it well, up. That's good. That's the, the soft power of China that's is progress. strong. But, but the, the soft that's power progress. of the US is even stronger. How is that progress? No, but as you said, it's crumbling. I agree with you. I think yeah. the American empire is crumbling, and I think yeah. that puts Australia in a precarious situation as a new, soon-to-be new citizen of Australia, as an Australian, with my allegiances well, well, Why is it precarious? What's the disaster that we're facing? The lot, to quote Paul, the loss of democratic values in here, when you can no longer speak your mind because Australian citizens who are Hong Kong citizens and have Hong Kong family back in Hong Kong can no longer protest China and what China is doing, that's a loss of Australian freedom of speech. Mm. But, but that's, that, there's nothing Australia can do about Chinese authorities threatening the Chinese residents, you know, family members of Correct. local... There's nothing what we can, can do What you can do is that. limit their influence on your university where your future mm. is being educated. Yeah, these Confucian... Well, Confucian Confucian centres. These, these are just plants of, of the Chinese Communist Party, pure and simple. Yeah, pure and simple. Yeah? Get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. Them <laughs> yeah. No, I, them I agree but there's with plants Paul of all there. sorts of things. Like, you're the one for free speech. Yes. Like, let these ideas um, be... Aired and let people Ideas, make up yes, their minds. But a, but a Communist Party-funded mm. institute in our 
in, you know, in our uh, universities. Yeah. And I have to say, with, I, yeah. uh, Queensland has the reputation for being a bogan state, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. Excuse us. Excuse uh, us. I'm just saying. No, if, I, if that's the case with UQ, which is considered the bogan <laughs> university, right? Think what it's like UQ down in Melbourne. UQ is actually quite high. But it's not up there with ANU, and it's not up there with the University of Sydney. No, it is. It's in the top seven. It's in the top seven, right? But they're underneath of them. So if it's like that at UQ where students are kicking up a stink, think about how much the influence must be at ANU and down at University of Sydney. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, I I had my eyes open when I watched that Four Corners special Mm. on the Chinese influence. That was really interesting. It was also very powerful. And, and I thought to myself, it was very disturbing. And I think to, I thought to myself then that we've got to close the Confucius Institutes down, mm. and we've got to say to the vice chancellors that you've got to back away from China. Yeah. Mm. And to her great credit, Maurice Payne stood up and said uh, something quite strong to the Chinese recently, which Australian governments have been very reluctant to actually stand up to the Chinese and tell them what we really think of you know the way they do things because of threatening, you know, because of what they do, what they did to that American basketball team, you know. One, one stray tweet from, you know, from a... Uh, from LeBron James. Yeah, uh, about, you know, critical or what was it? It was supportive of freedom supportive in, of Hong Kong, in yeah. Hong Kong. Mm. And, you know, they lose business in China. And they're, you know... He had to come out and so apologise. So the Chinese sponsoring companies said, we're not happy with... They shut the down China. the broadcast of the NBA matches in, in China. China, which hmm. lost them a lot of money. Yeah. So should we not stand up to that kind of blackmail? Well, if, if they if choose it, to... We're the, feeling sorry for NBA millionaires now, aren't we? Uh, like, yeah. is, that, no, is that what we're doing? No, no, no. no but no, it, it's, it's reflective of what you're saying. The it's U.S. The empire is crumbling, yep. and at the same time, China is rising, and Australia is caught in the middle there. It's got to play a very safe step, and especially in terms of the education. I mean, I, I can't stre- you know, stress this enough, but your universities in Australia need to be protected, need to be Australian. We have influence of foreign governments at all sorts of levels, you know, the biggest worry is more direct lobbying and buying of our politicians is our is a bigger problem than what's going on in the universities. Like every country faces every country faces foreign interference in its government through lobbying and through buying of politicians. So that's a much bigger problem than than uh, student protests at UQ. Like that's 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 scaring and threatening the local, um, you know, Chinese expats. But in the scheme of things, it's not. It, it's not. That's that's no big deal. That's. No, it's it, not. It is a big deal when those graduates stay in Australia and they're promoted by the CCP to obtain offices of position. Mm. I mean, it, it, I have to disagree with you. It yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal, and it's only when too many people but, realize but, it too late. But, but that's happening that it won't be without able to protests at university. Like they, they're. They'll just stack political parties and get people pre-selected yeah. in the same like way that said, Mormons it, do. Like, but that's always happened, so, right? Yeah. Politicians have always been bought. There's always been corruption in, within, in America and yes. here. But this yes. is a new level where you're getting in before you even have to buy them. You're cultivating mm. young Australians and young Chinese expats mm. to do this. You don't even have to buy them. Yeah, And not only that, teaching young Australians that... 
you know, the dollar is more important than the principles of democracy and freedom of speech, you know, that we have to protect our commercial interests with China at the expense of is this the NBA saying thing? what we really want is, to say is about Is this the NBA no, no, story? I'm, well, it's related, kind of. but in terms of, we, we, you know, we have to cultivate... The, the ideals of democracy and freedom of speech among yeah, but, our young well, people. I Chinese. also believe the NBA was wrong. The NBA was the NBA was uh, the guy brought it on himself because he was a basketball manager and he decided to tweet something Get out. Political, yeah, exactly. And that was where his problem was. Well, he got political, and that's where it all blew up in his face. Yeah, so, sports should be sports, and politics should be politics. So Absolutely. people in sports are not allowed to express a political opinion. Well, they can if they wish, but they've got to they've got to Except suffer the consequences. consequences. Yeah, exactly. Really? What, it's exactly what Israel Falau has it's done. A, it's a Falau all over again. I stood up for Israel Falau. I, I know, yeah, and perfect, I disagreed with you. He has a perfect right to say whatever he likes. And, I, no, and I see, I the ARU has the perfect right, right to, to sack, sack him. him. Exactly. See, I agree with Paul, but I also agree with you guys. There's going to be a consequence if you do it. Yeah. It's like if the um, NBA manager had come out and said, you know, Nike shoes are a heap of shit and, and Nike Nike's happened like, to be nope. the sponsor of the team. Yeah. And the management would say, well, I'm glad you enjoyed your free speech, but now you've caused us a problem because we're relying on that money to fund this team. So when he says the Chinese government are a piece of shit because of what they're doing in Hong Kong. He didn't say that. No, he he but, just said Hong no, Kong people should no, be free or no, something yeah, to that but, extent. Something similar. But, you know, it's the but same the, thing. He's put at jeopardy what pays for the organisation. And they could say, well, wish you'd told us that before we hired you. If you wanted to, you know, say that sort of thing um, and it was in your contract, great. But this is a sort of a... You know, go I've, and work for another NBA team that doesn't have Chinese sponsors if you want to criticise yeah. Chinese. Look, I believe you're absolutely right mm. on the sports thing, but mm. that's, that's really a side topic in, in the question of the university influence. So, so what do you want Australia to do at the university? I have, I have no idea what Australia should do and because that's because, because I recognise my own ignorance but, 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 as a new immigrant a to the country. But as a free speech advocate, libertarian, you should be saying, well, everybody <laughs> has the right to speak. That's and, I said. And he has therefore the right let, to speak the, in the let the views be aired and yes. let people be convinced one way or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so rather than being under the... Well, uh, do you know what they do? I mean, I, I don't mind Chinese students coming here to study. Yeah. And, and they can learn something about a different social political system. But having, you know, these institutes established in, in our universities, in our major universities, they are watching the students, you know, and they are making they are. sure that they do not stray From ideologically. Yes. But, but they're watching them everywhere, not only in the universities. Well, it gives but, them but, greater access to the yeah. means of watching. Australia's providing right. that access yes. by renting out and these Australia spaces. And Australia should not be assisting that. Correct. That's... Australia should not be facilitating the Communist Party of and China so, keeping a group like you said, on being, their Being a libertarian, all the voices should be, should be equally aired. And if someone wants to change their political ideology and they come to university where you are yeah. exposed to these ideologies, where you come to yeah. hear these and hopefully change your ideologies, there shouldn't be a government think center right behind you saying, guess what? Auntie and uncle are going to have a tough time at the re-education center if you decide to change your mind while you're being exposed to all yeah. of these things. That sort of soft pressure is there anyway. Like, uh, that's not exactly soft. China's got an ultra-hard fist behind that soft yeah, pressure. Yeah, but that, uh, it's soft pressure in that it's, it's, an, it's a threat. That if you, um, if you cause us a problem here in Australia, your family back in China yeah. is liable to... And you think to, that's okay? No, I'm saying that's, 
that's acknowledged and known by local Chinese in all walks of life. That's the danger of being an expat Chinese with family back home. Mm. So it doesn't, you, you know, when you land on the tarmac in Sydney, you know that that's the case. And it doesn't do. matter whether there's a, a group in the university well, it does matter. telling we you. Should not, we should be allowing them to come and yeah. study it's at our because What does that say to them when they go there and they say, oh, Australia condones this? Yeah. Condones what? The Chinese watching them, making sure they don't stray from the pack. Like you said, they're enforcing that when they land on the tarmac strip. And Australia says there's nothing we can do to stop China watching you. Well, there is something. There is something. You can stop them setting up centres in our universities from which they monitor everybody. Correct. You can say yes. That implied that implied threat is there, but you know what? It is reduced when you come here. It is different. Yeah, they should be able to go to university. Some specifics of this monitoring of this Confucius Society of what they're doing to the local. Oh, they do. They monitor all the students. There's tons of evidence. There's tons of articles. So, if you're a local Chinese, um, a student. At UQ. What do you mean local Chinese? Well, sorry, you've come from China. You've yeah, studied in uh, high school here for a couple of years. You've yeah. gone to the University of Queensland. Yeah. You don't have to join the Confucius Society. Uh, no, there's strong pressure that you are associated with it. You don't have to join. No, there no is, you wouldn't have to, but they tend to congregate this, as yeah. we do this, with this, people of the same language and culture. But not only that, and it's not even Chinese students now. It's Hong Kong students, expat mm. Hong Kong students, right, who were born in British Hong Kong, who are now having family who were not, they did not, they were not raised with that soft pressure that you're talking about, right? And it's only a new thing for them, and they're the ones kicking up the biggest stink. You see, Trevor, you can't rely on your socialist uh, tendencies. <laughs> look, look, you, 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 you guys are the libertarian free speeches, yeah. and I'm actually an advocate for free speech, no, and we're not. you are the guys trying to shut down no, no, free no, no, speech. No, 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 that's not true. Because free speech has come from a government. That's entirely no, we're not different. No, 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 no. Thank you, Glove. We're not Thank shutting you, down here. free speech. You, we're shutting just, down oh, oh, the, free the government that you propaganda. No, that's not true. We're not no, just, it's the government. The, it's the speech you don't like because it's anti it's the government. No, I'm yeah. not shutting it down. I'm I'm saying let the you know Australian Chinese Confucius Society, let the Australian American Friendship Society, let the it's whatever not the same society. Thing. It's not. So, it's not at all the no, same thing. No, no. no but you're, a, you're always a, the one about it's ideas. Branch, it's a bra- no ideas. I don't mind. Yes. But, but having a branch of, of the Chinese Communist Party in actively, the university, actively watching, actively monitoring, funding university programs, yes. and, and but students don't have to join. Oh uh, well, they are. Yeah, they are. Sort they don't of have yes. to join. Yes, when they're sent Nobody abroad, when the go- if, if the government gives you a sponsorship, sometimes that sponsorship is compulsory. Yeah. It compels you to join the Confucius right. Center. Government sponsorship of a student of at a UQ. scholarship to go to UQ. Well, how many scholarship? Well, if they don't agree, they don't come here. Like it's even, at le- you, you know, you can't stop China from doing <laughs> don't this. Don't agree. What are you going to say? <sighs> Well, so you're, you're definitely just, like not going to stop them by allowing them to do it. I mean, we used to. We, somebody referred to the French as cheese-eating surrender monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor is saying, "Let's just surrender to the Communist Party of China." I, I because what can li- we do about it? I can't it? believe the libertarians here. Could, could you? Aren't, but aren't could prepared, we reverse that and just prepared. say we should surrender to the Americans in Venezuela? Because what can we do? I, 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 well, that's what you guys were saying. Was that the revolutionaries? Should have given up. What they tried to do 
So here we'll, we'll we are, the revolutionaries, and trying so, to stop Chinese communism so, on Australian so, universities, so, so, and you're telling us we're going too far. <laughs> too far, my libertarian <laughs> friends. Too far. Stop calling yourselves libertarians when you're wanting to shut down free speech that you don't Not, like. No, no, you're, you're putting words oh, into our mouth. You, you are skewing you, it. You, you, you I am you are skewing it. trying to shut down hey, anyone's you like devil's advocate. <laughs> I do like devil's advocate. It makes I for good banter. I just do not want a branch of the Chinese Communist Party in our universities. Here, here. Get them out. Let the Chinese communist students say whatever they like. I don't have a problem or, with that. Or if you're going to allow this, you should allow for equal funding from every nation to have an equal representation no, at it. But then it keep gets them crazy. All out. Keep I agree. Them all I agree. Out. Keep it all out. Keep it flowing. This is of Australia. Free it should Correct. be Australian. Universities are full. Educational what, environment. Weren't you, weren't you pure involved in some international student group? I was. I was part of Reform, and I was international officer at UQ. So yes. wouldn't there be all sorts of uh, international? groups within the university like there where, are where and they actively participate under the banner of either fresh or reform who are who are representative as we said of the australian parties within australia they represent australian ideas and we work under those banners weren't any subversive types with notepads keeping track of people <laughs> you know you know you, you would actually so they you would actually be surprised <laughs> well my point you're saying that with sort of pseudo-Chinese no, style no, stuff I'm, happening. I'm saying, yes, by the Chinese Students Association, right. who were funded by the Confucius right. Institute. Right. Mm. This is the problem for, for the Chinese diaspora around the world, is that they have family back in China, mm. and there's pressure on them to yeah. toe the Chinese line Absolutely. because of that pressure. Now, they know that when they leave... Guangzhou Airport. But you're, not so, dis- you're never saying that that's wrong, that that pressure's there. Not once have you said that it's I'm wrong with the CCP. Oh, oh. how convenient. <laughs> in, I'm a realist. So if you were I'm, a Bolshevik I'm, in 1917 and you saw your friends being put up against a wall or sent and to being the gulag, shot, here's what happens. When you, you would say, oh, well, I'm a realist. I'm with the Bolsheviks Here's what happens. One. When you ban movements, they go underground. So if you're going to ban the open... Chinese Confucius Society at the University of Queensland. No. It's an organ it, of it, the Chinese goes, Communist Party. It goes underground no, it and becomes less obvious. It doesn't go so underground. So the same thing happens, yeah, and but, less in a less obvious, as well. but in a less obvious way. No, the Confucian so. Institute would not go underground. It would no. either exist or not exist. Correct. Uh, Chinese Communist you, you know, government spies might go underground. You know, you say these people are sponsored, so they're told, well, we're Some, sponsoring not you. all of them. It's a generalisation. Okay. So the ones who are sponsored who have said, you know, you've got to be part of the Confucius Society. Well, you don't think if there's no Confucius Society that they can't say to them, yeah, sponsorship, I noticed on your Facebook page you were doing some stuff. You want that sponsorship to continue? You well, know? Let's, well, let's like, remember they're Chinese, so there's no Facebook. Yeah, on your WeChat or whatever. So yeah. While they're in well, Australia, you know, they could have Facebook. So, so I just, it's going to happen anyway. But, don't give up so easily, Trevor. Well, I'll Stand be, up for well, liberal democracy. Let everybody know about it. And then the, it, it's obvious. It's out in the open. Let the ideas uh, be challenged yeah, and what openly was the discussed. Chinese prophet Libertarians but amongst you. Let those, a thousand flowers bloom let, or something let, like that. You know, I can't but believe that, this realist is having to... <laughs> those ideas have come from the Chinese government, though. They are not as a result of the Chinese... Ch- the Chinese students over here 
debating and that sort of stuff. Mm. They are government-imposed ideas from the Chinese Communist Party from Beijing that are that are then imposed via the, via the uh, Confucius Institutes. That's why I think they're so objectionable because they are they are not worthy of defending the freedom of speech because they do not come from freedom of expression from individuals. Also, the they are imposed by... And no, but what he's saying is true. And also when they come with that backing... They're not in. They're not being exposed into the university with the idea and the meaning behind it to engage with other ideas and see what happens. It's in to come in and dominate. Mm. You understand? It's not that idea isn't coming in from the CCP to be exchanged and intermingle and see what happens with an amalgamation of other ideas. It is to come in and dominate those other ideas yeah. and ensure that the people who are pushing those ideas don't change their mind in party lines. Yes. Of course, they're trying to control. Exactly. The diaspora. Of course they are. So if you're defending... Which is coming but, from the but, Chinese but, Communist Party at but, home, which is wrong. I, I just love how this freedom of speech is... But it's you know, not freedom said of speech. In the past, it's it's no. come from the government. We, that, we, that is the problem. No, no, you're prepared to draw a line and, and stop a freedom of speech. We're not stopping freedom of no, speech. No, we're saying any say. Chinese ideas and culture are free to come in, right? As long as, as, they're, long as they're not sponsored by the government. Exactly. The students it's should be free to say it's anything, not correct. the Chinese government. But, but, See, the look, Chinese can't critique their own Chinese government. We can't stop the Chinese government from locking up family members in China. No, but we can stop them from setting up branch offices in our universities. And and again, I would say, why can't we? Why can't we let the Chinese government know we don't like it? You don't have to stop stop it, but you can let them know we don't like it instead of allowing them to do it. And you should. Yeah, you absolutely should. But I I just love how this freedom of speech... like. It's what? not freedom of speech, though, because it's coming from it's, the government. Because it's propaganda, then. It is propaganda. Yes. And that's is that what we're at? Exactly. Correct. What, that's Correct. what, what uh, we so should we, be opposed to. So we to. like freedom of speech, except when it's propaganda. That Absolutely. Oh, I know where you're going. going. People should go to university and expo- be exposed no, to no, the communists, to the neoliberals, to the... Trevor, you to the social nationalist workers. It's really not a freedom of speech issue at all. It's an issue of a foreign hostile government setting up branch offices in our universities. Correct. Students are absolutely free to say whatever they like. Mm. Of course they should be, regardless of their ideology. But do you allow a hostile foreign government to come in and set up offices in our universities to monitor their students to make sure they toe the ideological line? Correct. That's and, what they're doing. It's and not I've... about freedom of speech at all. And I read an article last week because the chancellor at UQ is under increasing pressure to resign. There's new senators from the student population. Drew Pavlov, one of the students who was punched in the face by a Chinese national who came blasting the boombox at the UQ uh, Hong Kong protester site, has come in and challenged him to resign and explain his actions and you know his dealings with these Confucius yeah. centers, right? When this is coming up, it's, uh, it's, it's got to be scary. Yeah. Look, it's, it's not that hard to say and make it clear to people, you do not have to be a member of this group. If there are people coming in with boom boxes and attacking people, clearly, no, we've got to have our peaceful protest. That's illegal. Off you go in the paddy wagon. Like, we've got laws to deal with. No, with but see, this. that's the problem. UQ won't bring up these charges against them. The people who assaulted these Hong Kongers and these Australians were not charged because UQ's campus security would not pass the matter on well, to that's, Queensland. that's clearly Please. wrong. Why? Because... 
so the percentage of Chinese students that make up the international community going to UQ is so high, the money that UQ will lose if they speak out, just like the NBA, I hate to go back to the NBA metaphor, but just like if they speak out against, China will say, nope, and they'll stop cutting, stop sending these international students on mm. sponsorships to UQ. UQ starts losing money, so UQ has got a financial and economic yeah. investment to keep the Chinese party happy. Yeah. Thus, the Confucius Center pops up. Yeah, and that is wrong. I'm sorry, that is wrong. Well, well when, when people break our local laws, they should be dealt with. Yes, so, but now and, the money is more valuable than but, breaking but, the local laws. But, but you see, the difference with the NBA analogy is that that guy didn't break any laws. Correct. That's why I said so, I hated going back would, to that. Yeah. So in this case, laws are broken, enforce them. Also, have a program to, with the Chinese students to say, we understand you're under pressure from this mob over here. But here's what we can do for you. So, um, in fact, you know... But no such program Chinese, exists. And well, if it but, did exist, but, the Chinese would cut the international students coming to UQ well, and done. That, That's well, what the Confucius that, Centers are meant for, to stop programs just like you're talking about from springing up. Yes. No, no, no. Well, that's too bad then. So, but that's in our interest to say, uh, here are programs to deal with the threat that you're facing from this group. So... Ineffective. Yeah. Yeah, well, and also they can't no, happen. No, well, the Confucius well, Center won't allow it to happen. You've got, uh, what was it, low expectations or a bigotry of low expectations? It's not like, bigotry at all. Because no. you're no. saying to the Chinese students, you're under a threat. Now, that threat exists whether that Confucius Center is there or not. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it the threat of Chinese retribution on your family exists... If you don't toe okay. the line, whether that's so Confucius if, Center even is if there we or agree not. it exists, the, the level True. of degree that it exists so, can be managed. If you, so that, if let you me remove, so that, right. that threat exists, and it's obvious because of the Confucius Center, but it's there even without the Confucius Center. Not to the same degree. It's, that's it, yeah, the level of degree. They're watching you uh, either way. So Yes, here, but are we facilitating we that watching? We yes, understand we that are. you're under pressure. So... Uh, here's what we can do for you and here are strategies we suggest for you mm. in dealing with the, yeah. the threat that you have that exists whether the Confucius Centre is there or not. That's my point. That's the essence of my argument is that the threat is there regardless of the presence of the Confucius Centre. And, and the essence of our argument is the degree and our, mm. our affiliation in facilitating yeah. That, de yeah. that degree. Mm. I would say we should welcome Chinese students, but we should give them an, a learning environment where they feel they can relax. There's not somebody looking over their shoulder at everything they do and everything they say or who they associate with, that they can be at a, a proper Western liberal democratic higher institution of learning. In a proper Western de liberal democratic nation. Exactly. I mean, Jesus. Without a branch of their oppressive dictatorship government watching their every move. I mean, why would we let them do that? It's crazy. Are we going to stop? Oh, I know why. Exactly why. It's the money. We know that. They're addicted to the Chinese money. We know that. Yeah. And do we stop every organisation that comes here and... Every and, foreign and government organisation? Yeah, of Propaganda course. of... No, every... You know, do we allow, you know, any, for, any other foreign government to come and set up a branch office in our universities? Last time I checked, there wasn't a local KGB office at UQ. Well, okay. You're a Russian student, right? You've come to Australia... There's no KGB Russian society. Correct. There's no government group. But you know that if you've got family back in Russia and you do things that are against Russian interests here... So you speak out against you, the homosexuality laws being passed there, okay. 
yeah, whatever, then you know whether there's a group or not at the university that you have a pressure on you to toe the line. So it didn't need the association to be on the university campus for you no. to be curtailed in your actions and your speech. No, because you've missed anyway. it again. It's the, it's the, you've missed it again. It's the degree. So if I'm a Russian student and I come out and I speak out against Putin and I say he's a crazy maniac riding a bear shirtless and I say this at the Red Room while I'm drinking beer with my Australian friends and another Russian student hears me because there's no FSB or KGB office right next door, the chances that it gets reported are minimalized, yes. okay? But check it out. When the FSB office is right next door and I've got a cadre sitting behind me and he overhears that, it goes immediately back to Russia and the degree that that chance, that that slight misheard, right? that slight chance that someone heard me mm. in a moment of weakness when I didn't toe the party line yeah. has been, ex I mean, exponentially increased. And so, as bad I, as it is, Russia is a lot less to, to, to be oppressive honest, than the China. China. The Chinese right. government isn't too interested in what somebody says over beer. Oh, you, um, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're more yeah, worried. I'm not going to win that argument. You underestimate yeah. the Chinese. What, Have you what, seen what they're doing the, with that? The, with the they're cameras? worried when that person attains a position of power or publishes a newsletter or a blog or a Facebook post. They've seen, no, because they're going their before level it interest. happens. That's the whole point of the, these Confucius the, Institutes, to get yeah. it before it happens, to mold these minds before they do that. They're going one step further. Like I said, China's smart. Mm, they're very proactive. They're very active. They're not going to be reactive anymore. That's how they lost you know, to, the, to America. That's how they lost to England in the Opium Wars. They were reactive, reactive. China has learned. China used to be a world power. It wants to be a world power again. It's not going to be reactive. It's going to be proactive. Absolutely. Well... Going around in circles. Agree to disagree at this point. I guess it is. Um, I think Trevor's just got to give up his socialist leanings. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the it's just the free speech libertarian in me, and the, and the, and the, and the realist dealing with the these realist. sort of fantasy sort of. <laughs> <laughs> ideas of these guys who want to curtail free speech. That's we my problem. don't oh, want to curtail free speech. You're that's, twisting that's, it again. That's yeah. my problem. Wow. Did anyone stay with us for the whole uh, <laughs> two hours? Five guys left in the chat room. Ross, are you still there? <laughs> you've done well if you've lasted the whole time, Ross. So, well, that was fun. That it was, was good. fun. Yeah, it was, yeah, fun. It was yeah. very good. We'll have to have you back again. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it, guys. Thank you very yeah, much. It's good just to discuss ideas and... You know, there is a bit of devil's advocate happening in all amongst of that. Yeah. So, um, anyway. We're that keeping, was, keeping it lively. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, I'm going to say bye for now. You're going to say... Adios. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Bye now. Okay. See you guys. Bye, everyone. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast you'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. 
and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.